Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of September 8th, 2022, including bad news for Halo fans as 343 continues to cut and delay content from Halo Infinite, Ubisoft has a lot of Assassin's Creed games to talk about soon, Ubisoft loses ground this week in the war against the video game monoculture monopolization we've been watching, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, in the year 2002, Blinks, the Time Sweeper, was released for the original Xbox in the United States. It's uh, it's kind of crazy to think about the humble beginnings of Xbox and IP like Blinks and think about where Xbox is today with trying to or in, in being in the process of acquiring Activision Blizzard and King and uh, Game Pass and blah, 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 and four console generations later, it's... It's it's crazy how much has happened in twenty years, you know. Um, I don't know. Just it just feels like a very different Xbox to say the very least. But I mean, I guess you could say that about pretty pretty much anywhere any any developer or uh, any of the big three, with the exception of maybe Nintendo. They're still just making the same fucking Zelda game on endless repeat. But hey, guys, welcome to Xbox on. Uh, I'm just pissed off all seven Nintendo fans listening. I'm so sorry. Welcome to Xbox On. Guys, I was, I, I'm excited to talk about news today. And don't let the top of the show scare you off too much. I know it's, it seemed a little all negative. Halo's got some drama. Assassin's Creed, or Ubisoft's got some drama. Uh, we're getting more Assassin's Creed. I know that's a lot of negativity, but it's, it's a positive show. We got some fun stuff to talk about. I'm really excited to get into some information. I can't believe how excited I am to talk about a video game controller. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll get some juicy, fun stories. We'll have a lot of positivity, a lot of upbeatness. Uh, you know, last night I was writing the notes for the show. I was like, damn, this is a fun week. I'm, I'm kind of I'm looking forward to this one. We've been having some good weeks lately. And then today I got completely out of the mood because this weekend we're gearing up for the D23 Expo, which is basically like E3 for Disney shit. And, uh, man, I don't know why. I'm, I'm particularly excited. So, you know, you know how it is when it's like E3 and it's like all, all the big shit's happening, all your crazy video game fantasies are coming to fruition. Oh my god, they're bringing back Fable. What's this avowed game? It looks phenomenal. You know, you get all excited and hyped about gaming and nothing else really matters. I'm kind of having that moment a little bit with Disney because we're getting ready to figure out what the what 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 theme park projects they probably aren't actually going to build because Disney's cheap as hell these days. But goddamn, am I looking forward to maybe... For once in, in, in once in my life for Disney investing some money into Epcot. I don't know. Anyway, guys, let's let's talk about things that are actually relevant because 98% of you are just like, what the fuck is Epcot? And it's okay. We'll we'll talk about Xbox. Yeah, there's a tangent. Goddamn. Alright, let's start this week's podcast with our corrections, updates, and stories of mild amusement. We don't have any corrections because, as they say, I'm goddamn perfect. But we do have mild amusing mildly amusing stories as well as some updates. So let's let's start out with all of that. Talking about getting right into the the juicy shit, I guess. Uh, we we keep having this Xbox 
Activision acquisition, PlayStation being a little salty conversation coming up again and again because ever since uh, the Brazilian, that Brazilian, uh, what's the regulatory board, ever since those documents started kind of getting uh, dug into and reported on a couple weeks back, we've just been getting more and more of this uh, this saga that is PlayStation essentially just being like bratty, salty babies. And, and I don't mean that in a fanboy way. Like, again, I, I always want to put the context out there. I'm not a console fanboy. I like PlayStation. I genuinely think PlayStation is a great brand. It's a great platform to play games. I love plenty of PlayStation games. I grew up exposed to more PlayStation than Xbox, but... Yeah, I just I'm calling it like it is. <laughs> you know, we got a lot of PR people and even Jim Ryan, which we'll get into in a little bit, just kind of being salty, salty little babies about this uh, this whole ordeal. So here's our latest happening and update on that story. Microsoft had provided some clarification on its plans to, uh, for the future of the Call of Duty franchise. Should its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard go, uh, get the go ahead? The company has said on several previous occasions, and of course, as always, we're pulling from VGC because they're the gods of the video game media sphere. Uh, the company has said on several previous occasions that it does not intend to make the blockbuster franchise exclusive to Xbox uh, if its $68.7 billion acquisition is approved. In a statement with The Verge, Xbox boss or CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer said, Microsoft had committed to making the series available on PlayStation for, quote, several more years after Sony's current marketing deal with Activision expires. You know, the marketing deal that, like, gives PlayStation players exclusive modes that Xbox gamers don't get, that gives exclusive pre-order bonuses, that gives PlayStation all this special treatment and literally puts a middle finger up to Sony or to Xbox players and PC players. Uh, well, now Sony, the kings of trying to make people fucking salty by stealing content, are uh, getting salty about content that could potentially be taken away, but it clearly isn't, because as we'll talk about, Phil Spencer says, we're not taking your goddamn games away, okay? Quote, in January, we provided a... <laughs> Sorry. In January, we provided a signed agreement to Sony to guarantee Call of Duty on PlayStation with feature and content parity for at least several more years and beyond the current Sony contract. An offer that goes well beyond typical gaming industry agreements, said Microsoft's gaming chief. I'm going to stop there before we get into it, because that is like that is incredibly <laughs> insightful and important to note. Because, yes, we, like, everyone, the second the Activision, you know, bombshell story dropped, like, back in January or whatever it was, you know, we were all mind-blown that this was even happening. What the fuck? Microsoft buying Activision? Holy crap. But the funny thing is how it seemed like collectively, and I'm talking about every everyone from, like, the rational, like, everyday gamers who have, like, the common sense to be like, okay, like, I'm not, I'm not out here, like, for blood of PlayStation players, like, some kind of fanboy all the way to the most extreme ends of the fanboy spectrum where people are just like, fuck PlayStation, if you play PlayStation, if I if I catch you in public in a PlayStation t-shirt, I will. there will be blood everywhere, like, fuck you. Like, it, like the whole spectrum seemed to be on this very rare instance of, of, of agreement and, and just mutual understanding, like, there's no fucking chance in hell. Call of Duty just ceases to be a game available to PlayStation players. So the fact that we just have to keep talking about this, I just want to preface, is just beyond me because it's like yes there's no way it benefits anyone microsoft included to just remove call of duty from the fucking playstation platform but anyway for phil to go as far as to say yo in january we signed an agreement with sony basically before there was ever like any any serious confident uh like understanding that this deal would even go through like, we knew, first things first, we gotta sign this fucking agreement with Sony and be like, yo, we're not taking Call of Duty away from you. Saying, 
feature and content parity. So not only that, but they're saying, Sony, yes, we're, we're trying to buy Activision, but before you freak out, we're not going to take this game away from you, and we're going to play nicer with you as the potential pre, uh, future owners of this IP than you play with us right now as someone who just has a fucking marketing, like, promotional agreement on the franchise, doesn't even own the fucking game. So that, that right there is like, it just, I don't know, I, I, again, it's it's... It's cool how the con- the continuing boiling of this story, the back and forth between Microsoft and Sony, has spurred so much of the tension and the actual like corporate rivalry that goes on behind the scenes, to where we as you know just unassociated uh, uh, I guess consumers kind of get a little bit of the glimpse behind like the oh shit yeah this is <laughs> there's some bad blood here you know not not even, again not even from a console war standpoint but just from the simple. Uh, just from the simple understanding that, like, hey, this is a business. Like, this shit financially affects Sony, and it matters to them, you know? Like, and, I don't know, just to get to kind of see this side, especially when Phil Spencer is always, like, the guy who's like, oh, yeah, we want to play wherever you want to play, and Sony's always just like, yeah, we don't fucking acknowledge Xbox because we're better than them. (laughs) And this, this just kind of forces both sides to acknowledge the elephant in the room and the uncomfortable situation and the fact that these are competing, uh, companies at the end of the day. But anyway... Literally agrees, Phil Spencer, <laughs> in January, signs a provisional agreement or something like that with Sony to say, we're not taking this game from you. The game will continue to release on your platform with content parity, which you can't even promise, and you don't even own the fucking game, and it will go well beyond the industry agreements. Now, put a pin in that because we're going to get back to that with an update that came out today. Continuing on, Bloomberg sources said to be familiar with the Activision uh, Activision's plans claimed in January that the publisher was contractually obliged to release at least three new Call of Duty games on PlayStation consoles, which we've, of course, talked to or talked about. We know that's Modern Warfare 2, Warzone 2.0, which are both this year, as well as most likely the next Black Ops game, which, as we as far as we know, might not come out until 2024. So at least those three games is what we understand are going to continue to get their contractual, con- contractually agreed to PlayStation promotion, where they're going to be eh, pre-order and play on PlayStation. You'll get a fucking skin that looks like, eh, like Ron DeSantis's penis. It's like, okay, wow, I, uh, okay, wow. I guess multiplayer is going to be so much better in this game because I bought on PlayStation. But anyway, Microsoft's deal to acquire, blah blah blah. Okay, my, uh, here, here's a, I guess, tangential little addendum to that. I want to bring up just because I didn't bring it up. Last week, and it did kind of happen right before we recorded, Microsoft's deal to acquire Activision Blizzard is currently being scrutinized by regulators concerned with the potential antitrust issues during the time of increasing consolidation in the games industry. Last week, the UK's competition, and that was two weeks ago, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, CMA, said it said its inquiry to the merger may be expanded due to outstanding concerns, most notably the impact on the deal and how it would have what it would have on Sony's ability to compete. Quote, PlayStation currently has a larger share of the console market than Xbox, but the CMA considers that Call of Duty is sufficiently important that losing access to it or losing access to competitive terms could significantly impact Sony's revenue under uh, and, and user base. Sorry. Uh, the impact is likely to be felt, especially at the launch of the next generation. I love that they mentioned this because this is actually pertinent. The impact is likely to be felt, especially at the launch of the next generation of consoles, where gamers make fresh decisions about which console to buy. The CMA believes that mergers could therefore significantly weaken Microsoft's closest rival to the detriment of the over and sorry of overall competition in console gaming. CMA said Activision, Microsoft, Blizzard, blah blah blah, have until September 8th, which is the day this podcast goes live, hi, uh, to submit proposals addressing its concerns, and that if suitable proposals are not received, then the deal will be referred or um, referred for further investigation. So this might get um, punted. Now, 
just to be clear, I'm not trying to sensationalize this. I really don't think there's a chance this deal does not get approved on all fronts by all major regulatory boards. I think this is a done deal. It's really just a matter of going through the motions. Um, but it is, I think, I think Microsoft probably thought this was more of a of an automatic win done deal than it's proving to be with this with the CMA. And um, I, I think it is notable and maybe a little bit surprising to see that there is this much pushback or concern or, or conversation being had among the, uh, uh, regarding this. And I wonder if that has to do with the extent of this, solely with this with this relationship between how Call of Duty affects the, the competition between Xbox and PlayStation, or if it's that paired with the fact that since this deal was announced back in January, we have just had 8.6 trillion fucking announcements that... Tencent, blah, 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 Microsoft, blah, 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 the fucking Embracer, blah, blah, blah. It's like you can't fucking go to the store and buy a goddamn box of baby wipes without it being owned by fucking Tencent or Microsoft at this point. So or Embracer Group. So I, I think it's just the fact that since that massive bombshell of a merger and acquisition was announced or that deal was announced, we've only just gotten so much more and more of this. That it's just been, you know, brought up to 11 and the arms race continues to just heighten more and more and more. And I think that's starting to like raise awareness, like, hey, something's up. And honestly, personally, from the from the, from the perspective of someone who's like, whatever, this deal is happening, whether we like it or not, it is what it is. I, I, I kind of commend the CMA for at, for at least just trying to like scrutinize it and, and, and think about it. Because at the end of the day, I don't personally care about this deal from the perspective of like, I want green team to beat blue team. I care about it from the perspective of I want there to be as much independence across the games industry as humanly possible so that we can continue to have unique identities and and just fewer of the same hands on all the fucking projects in the world you know wouldn't it be nice if all the music in the world weren't written and recorded and produced and owned by like four people you know i don't know bad example i guess i don't whatever who cares i don't know i just i, I we gotta put that in there and i know it's a little detour from what we're talking about more specifically directly between microsoft and sony but uh Interesting to note. And then we today get an update on this story where so this is where it gets super juicy, where Jim Ryan has to jump out and be like, yo, fuck you. And also be sure to buy Death Jr. now available on the PlayStation Portal. Well, he says or the story reads from Video Games Chronicle, the update. Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan has called Microsoft's proposal for keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation consoles, quote, inadequate on many levels. And this is one of the uh, speaking of rare moments where the world kind of comes together and agrees on something. This is one of those rare moments where everyone came together and was like, what the fuck kind of comment is this? And I wonder if we're just kind of misinterpreting it or if Jim Ryan just kind of maybe spoke a little bit or had, had a, had a, had a moment of poor word choice and didn't mean it the way it came out. But let's, let's read his comments and then, pick on them a little bit. Uh, last week, Microsoft provided some clarification on its plans for the future of Call of Duty, blah, 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 as we just talked with the acquisition. In a statement with The Verge, Xbox boss Phil Spencer, also known as the CEO of gaming, said Microsoft had committed to making the series available on PlayStation for several more years, which we just talked about. During this period, Call of Duty games released would release for PlayStation and have featuring content parity. While the Xbox exec claimed the offer goes well beyond typical gaming industry agreements, Sony's <laughs> Jim Ryan told GamesIndustry.biz that the company is not satisfied with the proposal. Quote, I hadn't intended to comment on what I understood to be a private business dis discussion, but I feel the need to set the record straight because Phil Spencer brought this to the public forum, Ryan said. 
Microsoft has only offered for Call of Duty to remain on PlayStation for three years after the current agreement between Activision and Sony ends. After almost 20 years of Call of Duty on PlayStation, the proposal was inadequate on many levels and failed to take account of the impact of our gamers. We want to guarantee PlayStation gamers continue to have the highest quality of Call of Duty experience, and Microsoft proposal undermines the principle, end quote. The current deal... Call of Duty deal between Sony and Activision Blizzard is believed to cover this year's Modern Warfare 2, Warzone 2, and a new game from Black Ops developer Treyarch, who are the best Call of Duty developers, shout out to Treyarch, and which might not arrive until 2024, that Treyarch developed game. All right, we talked about all that, but now we have the specific quote from Jim Ryan as uh, he gave to gamesindustry.biz. Here's the thing is, let's let's try to take our personal preferences and feelings out of the mix. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a little bit more centered as a, a, a or a little gravitate a little more towards the Xbox brand as a, as a, as a brand you arbitrarily prefer. And if you, and if you are a PlayStation fan, you might be like, yeah, this is kind of bullshit. This is kind of worrisome. Let's try to take all of that out of it and just boil this down to Phil versus Jim, because it, it is in a lot of ways. It is both sides trying to protect themselves. The problem is every time Sony comes to the table and says something about this, it shows how scared they are and how nervous they are, and I think rightfully so. And and it and it and it just kind of exposes them and makes them look weak. And I mean, you can say at the end of the day, well, PlayStation is the biggest gaming brand. They're the, they're the top dog. They way outperform Nintendo and Xbox. Who gives a shit? Sure, but like. Y- this perception and this audience like kind of understanding of who you are and your identity matters. There's a reason why PlayStation, you know, tries to be so buttoned up and is like so against having fun like Nintendo and Play- and Xbox do with a lot of their marketing. There's a reason why PlayStation is so like, oh, we're like the Oscar nominee video game developers. We only make games that are serious contenders where dads have their daughters murdered and they have to go across... 12-hour journeys with fucking blah, 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 high-fidelity frame rate storytelling. And it's like, okay, we get it, we get it. You make the same fucking game over and over again where everything is sad and dire and everyone's fucking dead. We get it, okay? But these 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 perceptions and these things matter greatly. And every time PlayStation gets in front of this story and says something, it, it's kind of it's kind of twofold. They're hurting their own their own perception and they're making themselves look weak and open for audiences and consumers to be like, God, PlayStation kind of look like bitches bitching and moaning about the Call of Duty situation. But at the same time, it's a genuine and, and I, th- I think justifiable plea to these regulators and, uh, and these different markets around the world to be like, guys, Call of Duty is a massive fucking game that has massive ramifications for the platforms it's available on. And if someone, you know, if one of, if the biggest competitor just snatches up the rights to the IP, sure, maybe today they play nice with us. But down the road, you know, they hold the keys to the kingdom of Call of Duty. And if they decide to not play fair with us, that has a massive ripple effect for the entire industry. It's just, it's just too fucking big of, of, a, of a property. And it just makes... Too much money, it matters way too much to the world of gaming. It's it's kind of analogous to if, like, Microsoft was like, hey, we bought Fortnite, fuck you, you know? It's just like, wow, I mean, that is, that is like, all the money in gaming right now tied up in one property, and you can't just take it away. And the thing is, we, we all know that Xbox is not trying to take away Call of Duty, and Phil Spencer's, this is where he comes in, is every time he comes up to bat, it's a similar thing where it's like, he makes a statement about 
we're not trying to take this away. I signed fucking documents with PlayStation behind the scenes. It's It has the exact opposite effect of what PlayStation's situation is, where every time Phil Spencer has to retort or respond or talk about the situation, it just makes Xbox look a little more chad. It just makes Xbox a little more cooler. It's like, look at them. They're the good guys. They're buying the fucking thing, and they're just going to make it free for a bunch of people on PC and Xbox, and they're still going to let PlayStation people have it if they want it just the way they've always had it. Wow, Xbox is just win-win-win. They love the consumers. They're so awesome. Fuck you, everyone else. And Phil Spencer is my, my real dad. And it's like, it's just this thing where it's like from the, the consumer instantly is like, oh, yeah, Xbox is cool. But conversely, it's it, and, and this is where I give Jim Ryan a little bit of like, OK, well, that's fair. Is it, it kind of is just like a, a slight, especially from a guy like Phil Spencer, who's always like tweeting out like, congrats to PlayStation on the release of The Last of Us Part One remake times seven. Uh, good job to the team and the developers. You know, he's always trying to be like a good guy. He's always trying to be a little impartial and be like, listen, games are cool. Gamers are cool. Developers all deserve respect, whether you're for green team or blue, te blue team or red team. I don't give a shit. Um, it, but it also kind of makes him look like he's making PlayStation look shitty and weak by having to make the comments like, well, we don't have plans to do this, this, and this, because then it just furthers the the whole like PlayStation or the bad guys kind of look. So it's the it's just this never ending cycle of every time one of these two guys or one of these two companies has to speak on the matter, it just makes you know it just furthers the the, the issue that the other one has. And um, ultimately, and here's where I'll start putting my personal. Uh, spin on like my personal feelings and and thoughts on the matter. I I genuinely and I don't mean this as an Xbox fan. I just think in this instance, Phil Spencer I think is being an honest fucking guy about it. I think he's like, hey, we we're not trying to take this game away. And remember the the comment he had I think it was two weeks ago where he's like, listen, it is not financially viable or feasible for us to even be considering taking Call of Duty away from PlayStation. When you consider the amount of teams, the amount of developers that work on this franchise, how much it costs to develop one of these fucking games, and there's always one in development, this three-year cycle we got going on where a new one releases every year, it doesn't make financial sense for us to be like, fuck you, PlayStation, we're taking out one of the biggest markets of the Call of Duty brand, just taking it out altogether, and then we're only putting it on PC and Xbox, and also now on PC and Xbox, it's it's accessible through your Game Pass subscription. You don't even got to buy the game anymore. That just takes the already... And you got to understand, a game like Call of Duty costs so much more money to develop and market than 99% of the games you ever see. Like, it is such a massively expensive franchise to continually develop and, and market. And it just doesn't make financial sense. So as much as it seems like Xbox doesn't need PlayStation, fuck you. They're just being nice by letting you have it. Xbox does need PlayStation when it comes to Call of Duty. It, PlayStation is an important part of the puzzle. because and, and I don't mean this as a slight to people who play PlayStation. But <laughs> Microsoft needs a contingency, a group of gamers who are going to be... I don't want to say dumb enough because it's not really fair or nice. You know, but... They need that group of gamers who are going to be willing to go spend $70 on the next Call of Duty while all of us on Xbox and PC are like, yeah, sure, yeah, including my subscription that I pay 15 bucks a month for. I'll just play it along with fucking Yakuza 4 or whatever, you know? So they, they need that. They, 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 they rely on that to help fund the development and help sustain the platform and the ecosystem and everything. So at least for now, I think Microsoft needs... Call of Duty and PlayStation and all that to be kind of as is, just as much as PlayStation is desperately and kind of pathetically in, 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 in the media spotlight grasping for like, it's not fair, it's not fair, they're taking Call of Duty for us from us. And I think a little bit of the other thing PlayStation is complaining about here and, and, and ringing the alarm over isn't even necessarily the fact that 
oh, they're going to take Call of Duty away from us in a year or something when they when the deal is done. I think what they're saying is, no, 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 no. We're worried about down the road. Of course, today, Phil Spencer, it's easy for him to say, we're going to honor a contractual agreement that Sony had with Activision. We're going to continue to allow this stupid marketing deal, blah, 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 this, that. But who's to say? Because things change. Like, you know, strategies change, platforms change, everything changes. Who's to say maybe three to five years, the, the strategy isn't different? You know, the priorities aren't different. And at that point, Microsoft could just be like, you know what? No more Call of Duty on Xbox. Now, I don't foresee that happening. I don't know when or why that would ever make sense. Things can happen. I'm, I never say never, right? But I, I think that's what PlayStation's really concerned about. It's not today, it's not tomorrow. It's years down the road, and they don't want to be in the situation where they feel like, you know, these these are massive companies that need to constantly looking at the the forecast, looking at the market, looking at the roadmap, and saying, what does our financial forecast look like for this year, for this year, for this quarter, for that quarter, right? And if at any point in time, you know, you think three years from now or whatever, there's just this constantly looming fear that. Microsoft could just take Call of Duty away from us if they see fit. If they feel like this is the way that they can, you know, kind of like strangle us a little bit and, and, and grab some instant market share or like the timing is right for whatever reason, they can do that at their will at any fucking point in time. And I think that's what Jim Ryan's upset about. And that's what they're really getting at is that is that uncertainty and that constant looming fear that something could happen. Maybe not now, but at some point something could happen. I think that's what they're getting a little worried about. But the, but the conversation just continues to be more and more ridiculous because for Jim Ryan to call the the the, the agreement inadequate on many levels, I this is and this is the part I want to close on that just falls on deaf ears so fucking hard because, dude, I mean I I know and I, I always bring it up because I think it's fair to be fair right from you know what Call of Duty was it I I think it was the original mod speaking of Modern Warfare two I think it was the 2009 Modern Warfare two I believe it was starting with this game is when. Microsoft during the Xbox 360 days had a marketing partnership with Activision where map packs came out to Xbox platforms exclusively for three months before they came to PlayStation 3. So I always want to bring this up because it's not like PlayStation started it. They just took it and played a little dirtier than Microsoft had already played. And so in the PS4, Xbox One generation where everyone decided it's not cool to like Xbox and you got to like PlayStation or you're not a real gamer... PlayStation got the marketing deal with Call of Duty and they played a little dirtier. They're like, no, we want exclusive content. We want exclusive modes. We want shit Xbox gamers are never going to get. And that's where we get the, the 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 Sony and Activision relationship we see to this day. So for, I mean, we're, think about that. That uh, 2014 is when that generation like really started kicking off, but that was the last year uh, Xbox was in bed with Activision. That was Advanced Warfare. So I think this begins in 2015 with Black Ops 3 is when PlayStation and Activision start getting in bed. And so it's 2022. We're looking at seven years of this fucking relationship between Sony and and Activision, I'm. Let's say the old relationship with Xbox and Activision was 09 with Modern Warfare 2 until through 2014. You know, it's we're at a point now where PlayStation has had the marketing deal and the fucking exclusive content and the fuck you uh, like anti-consumer bullshit with Activision and, and Call of Duty longer than Xbox even had it. And the reason I bring this up is to say you don't get to fucking call it inadequate at this point. Because you play Dirty 2. <laughs> so for Xbox to even give you any any trail of crumbs in this deal at all, I think is adequate. Because again, this isn't this isn't fucking elementary school where your teacher tells you you gotta share your fucking glue and scissors with your neighbor and be nice to everyone. This is 
the fucking corporate world where it's all about cutthroat and fuck everyone and make money and ex- exploit anyone and anything with a heartbeat you can find, you know? And for Microsoft to even be like, yeah, we're going to play ball with, with, with PlayStation even outside of the default agreement tells me that, like, it's absolutely adequate. You're not entitled to any of this. Now, it's important to know Jim Ryan says the deal we signed in January that Phil Spencer is referring to only agrees to the three contractual games that they already have to agree to. So he's, you know, he's, he's lying. He's not talking about agreeing to anything post that. But again, we all fucking know there's no chance in hell. Let's fast forward to 2025, okay? Modern Warfare 2 uh, is, is out. Uh, Warzone 2 is out. It's made a billion dollars, and you've already played as all your favorite fucking Kardashians in the Battle Royale world. And fucking Black Ops 7 is out, and I- I'm over here telling you it's a good game while all you guys are like, yeah, shut up. No one cares about Call of Duty. Okay, fast forward. It's 2025 now. We're waiting for uh, Call of Duty Vanguard 2. Everyone's rolling their eyes because no one fucking wants it, but fuck you, it's happening anyway. Uh, we're rewriting World War II. It was actually all about uh, it was all about uh, this amazing cast of awesome, progressive, pink-haired liberals, and they totally destroyed the Nazis and fuck Hitler, and that's the story. And we're all not excited for it, but it's happening anyway, right? Fast forward to 2025. Xbox is still going to put that game on PlayStation. Mark my goddamn words, okay? If you want to go spend seventy dollars on PlayStation, you go do that. I'll get it for free on my Game Pass subscription, and then I'll tell you guys, it's not that bad, guys. The multiplayer is pretty good, and you'll all be like, fuck you, we're waiting for Elden Elden Ring 2 or whatever the fuck's happening at that point in time, right? Okay? All right, move on. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, it, it continues to blow my mind how every time, again, every time Phil talks, it's like all all of us in the audience get to go, Phil Spencer, you fucking Chad. You, like, you, you giga Chad. I think I'm using that right. I think I'm saying that right. Oh, you're so cool. You're so, you're so likable. And every time Jim Ryan or someone from Sony speaks up about it, it's like, you guys look like little so- sorry loser cuck boys. Stop talking. You're making it worse for yourself. But this is reason to be concerned. And, I, and, you know, it reminds me of, like, the story from the other week about the PlayStation and raising of the prices for the consoles. Because, listen, Xbox can hemorrhage money all day fucking long, and they can afford to make moves that PlayStation can't. And I'm not trying to say, oh, poor PlayStation, they're, they're at risk for going under or something. You know, Sony's in great financial standing. The PlayStation brand makes fuck you money all day left and right. But for PlayStation, these littler things, the, these things matter more than it does to, to Microsoft. Microsoft can afford to hemorrhage money all goddamn day long with Game Pass in an effort to gain market share because they're Microsoft. Sony could never do that. That's why they'll never have a service half as good as Game Pass because they can't afford to be that way. They can't play that game. They have to play differently. And so this stuff is really starting to scare them because everything is shaking. They're getting, they're starting to get some negative press. People are starting to kind of get a little fed up with their shtick about like, oh, it's The Last of Us, but you got to understand it's the fifth time you bought it, not the fourth time. So it's worth $70 instead of 60 now. It's like, okay, I don't doubt it was hard to make. I don't doubt it's a very beautiful remaster, but like who gives a shit, you know? It's it's like one of these things where it's like the the you're starting to see a little bit of the the shiny allure that PlayStation had all throughout the PlayStation 4 generation start to the the sheen the shine is starting to wear off a little bit and people are starting to be like we want more <laughs> you know and Xbox is over here and yeah I know I listen let's be let's be critical of Xbox let's hold them accountable where they need to be held accountable Xbox is all about announcing the games showing the games not releasing the games, but on Xbox, you get the most 
uh, powerful console in the entire world. It's super. They're super fucking pro consumer, and everything is awesome. They got the coolest features. Their consoles are more affordable than the competitions, despite being more powerful. Uh, Game Pass is the greatest consumer benefit in the entire history of video games. You just pay fifteen bucks a month, and you know you'll blow your wad just sitting on the couch, being like, "Oh my god, all these games, and I can just play them for fifteen bucks a month." Well, when we get to the what I've been playing today. I got so much great stuff to say about Game Pass, man. Like, it's so good over on Xbox. And the conversation keeps getting better and better and better. While on PlayStation, it's like, you guys are playing the same tricks you were playing a few years ago and starting to look a little weak. And I think PlayStation's like, shit. They, they, and, and, and I don't want to mince words about this. I think PlayStation are incredibly savvy and they're incredibly smart. And you look at the acquisitions they're doing right now, and I think everything PlayStation's trying to do is trying to play smart with less because Xbox can just brute force their way with money into the position they want to be in. And I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but these things start to really shake the foundation for PlayStation. I guess I'm just grateful for it because we get to see uh, all the uh, spicy corporate warfare, I guess, between the two. Anyway, let's move on. That's enough of that. Fuck you, video game companies. I just want to play. I just want to play my tiny kin on Xbox Game Pass. Anyway. We got an update here. I don't have much to say about this, but it is confirming something we've talked about twice on the show now. In fact, we talked about it last week. Microsoft have officially confirmed the Xbox Game Pass family plan that it's been testing for the past month. As uncovered via a leaked image a few days ago, the new subscription tier is called Xbox Game Pass for Family and Friends. At the moment, it's still only available in Ireland and Colombia because fuck Americans. No, because uh, we don't know. Uh, but now it's available to all players in those countries instead of just those who are part of the Xbox Insider program. Xbox has yet to confirm when the new tier will roll out in other regions, and according to an FAQ about the service on the support page on Xbox.com, Friends and Family allows Game Pass Ultimate subscribers to share their subscription with up to four other players. The four other players have to live in the same country, but otherwise they will receive the, the full Game Pass Ultimate treatment including Xbox Live Gold, the entire Game Pass library, on Xbox with PC as well, EA Play, perks, discounts, all the shit they give you, fucking send you laundry detergent twice a month, whatever you want. Quote, with the friends and family plan, all five members enjoy the benefits of Game Pass Ultimate with their own unique access to all Xbox Game Pass Ultimate games, content, and benefits regardless of what device they play on. An Xbox statement reads, all the people you invite can play at the same time you can even play together in the same game plus you can include friends and family outside your household this part i mean we, we've talked about this already but like god you you want to talk about the value of game pass like it just went up two thousand percent the fact that fucking a total of five people man dude as long as all your friends and family live in the same country you are goddamn eating good for what we what we, we assume is like 25 30 bucks a month like it's insane Game Pass continues to be the, and again, this is another one of those things. It's like, this is the kind of stuff that makes Sony nervous is because they can't play this game. They can't take all their Last of Us remakes and be like, yo, $5 a month, you can play all of our Last of Us remakes. It's like, no, 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 because they're spending way too much money and time developing all these Last of Us remakes. They need you to buy the game. On the other hand, Microsoft can be like, dude, we just made so much goddamn money on, I don't know, selling office to college students who have to write fucking essays and, and businesses that need Excel sheets to break on them while they're trying to do expense reports. We made so much money on that bullshit that whatever. We'll just eat the cost, and you guys can have Game Pass, and invite all your friends, and fuck you, uh, Netflix, for trying to crack down this very thing we're opening up on, and go have fun. And that's the kind of uneven playing field we're seeing right now, and it, honestly, Microsoft has been in this position for as long as Xbox has been around, obviously. It's it's kind of crazy that it, just, it took until Satya Nadella, it took until Phil Spencer, it took until now for the company to finally be like, listen, are we in the games industry or are we not? Like, when are we going to just double down and, and make shit happen? And 
that's what we're seeing like it or not I, I mean i think we're seeing good and bad come from this but um Dude, that's what Game Pass and the acquisition of Activision and, and, and Bethesda and all this stuff is all about. It's just Microsoft can and finally will play dirty or, or you know, play aggressively to, uh, to be like, you know, fuck you. You know, IGN, GameSpot, all you San Francisco-based media outlets who just want to jerk off PlayStation all day for some reason. Like, fuck you. We will make you look dumb for not loving Xbox, starting with letting everyone in the world access all the games for practically nothing it's a it's a dangerous arms race but goddamn if it's not interesting right all right next up let's talk about all right last thing about activision i promise it's not about xbox versus playstation it's just about uh call of duty diablo and overwatch and real quick we don't even have to get into it but vgc relays that microsoft have confirmed they intend to bring activision blizzards leading franchises to game pass should the company's merger go ahead which is a fucking no shit no brainer but this is them specifically saying yes this is the plan while it previously has been assumed xbox boss also known as CEO of gaming, Phil Spencer, has now specifically confirmed that the company intends to make Call of Duty, Diablo, and Overwatch franchises available on Game Pass. That's so nice to know that the free-to-play Overwatch 2 will be available in Game Pass. Quote, we are expanding choice in two ways, through the creation of Game Pass, which gives players a subscription option, and by bringing the games to mobile platforms, including through our cloud game streaming technology, he said in a statement published on Thursday. Uh, subscription services like Game Pass make gaming more affordable to help players from all around the world find their next favorite game. Game Pass empowers developers to bring more games to more players, not fewer. We intend to make Activision Blizzard much-loved library of games, including Overwatch, Diablo, and COD, available on Game Pass to grow those gaming communities by delivering even more value to players. We hope to continue growing Game Pass, extending its appeal to mobile phones and connected devices. Now, of course, that is how we know Diablo 4 is going to be a games-as-a-service type game because the name of the game here is get the games in the hands of as many people as humanly possible so they can buy season passes and skins and shit like that. You got you to gotta understand, like, especially for Phil Spencer, because he's been one of the champions of, like, the whole, there are 2.6 trillion gamers in the world referring to, like, soccer moms playing Candy Crush Saga on their iPhones. But y you know how, like, like, these, like, so many of these gaming people are always, like, acting like there are billions and billions of gamers out there where it's like, n no, there aren't. But I understand what you're saying. People who might be able to spend money on things that we consider video games for companies to be profit on. Yes. And this is this is the end result is they're they're trying to get these franchises off of this exclusively PC, exclusively console space and be like how can we get this to the market in India which mostly plays on just PC and mobile phones, you know? They don't really play on 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 console. How can we get these games to China? How can we get these games to fucking random people with phones in their pocket which just Spoiler alert, happens to be everyone, and, and that's the name of the game at this point, and, and you monetize in other ways. You find a way to lower the barrier of entry as, as low as humanly possible, get everyone on board, and then monetize in different ways, and obviously that's not news to us, this is just confirming what we already knew, so we will move on, but there's Phil Spencer reiterating the obvious and the assumed. Now guys, I'm excited to talk about this next one. This is a story of mild amusement, I guess technically. Because I don't, I'm I'm pretty excited for it. I just uh, I don't know if I have enough to say to make it a proper story. But guys, after speculation, long months of reporting, Microsoft has officially announced the white version of the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller. But it has also revealed that it'll be cheaper than the black edition. Now you'll say, why does the color make a price difference? Well, listen up, motherfuckers, because this is how they're gonna sell you two of these bad boys instead of one. The controller, which has been sold under the full name Xbox Elite Wireless Controller Series 2 Core. 
can't forget core, is similar to the Black Elite Series 2 controller, but will come with fewer accessories. As a result, the controller, which will be available on September 21st, will cost $129 instead of the $180 being charged for the Black version. Players will be able to buy a separate complete component pack for $60, which, if you do the math, will bring it up to the Black version's $180 price tag. And what this component pack will come with are the accessories and the carrying uh, case and charging dock um, that would otherwise come with the standard black version. The White Elite Wireless Controller Series 2 Core Edition will come with the controller, a USB-C cable, and a thumbstick adjustment tool, but none of the other accoutrements, including what you know, what the Black Elite Series 2 controller comes with, uh, which are a carrying case, a charging dock, a set of four paddles that attach to the back, four additional thumb, uh, thumbsticks, additional D-pad, and if players want, they have, and the additional D-pad, sorry. Uh, reports of a White Elite Series 2 controller have been shared for a number of months now, but perhaps the most important p a bit of information from this announcement and confirmation was that the Elite Series 2 controller will be added later this holiday to Xbox Design Lab's website, meaning that players will be able to customize their own Elite controllers for the first time. Guys, that last bit there, that's the fucking part that got me. So yeah, this 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 story ended up being way more exciting and, and juicy than we otherwise thought. You know, we've been talking about it, the reports. Obviously, this thing was real. We saw pictures all over the internet. Uh, I think Amazon listings, stuff like that. So everyone knew this thing was real. It was coming. It was just a matter of time. But the thing is, they managed to make it. You know, we all expected, oh yeah, it'll be the exact same thing as the black version, just available in white, you know, for people who have a preference. It'll cost the same, it'll come with the same shit, whatever. You know, like I, I didn't personally care. I was like, I think the personally I think the black one looks cooler. I don't like the two-tone black and white thing with the grips being black and the controller being white. But um then they got me <laughs> with that that bit at the end where they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What if we told you you can customize your own like uh, Elite Series controller from the Xbox Design Lab site, and uh, that that's that's the part that put me over the edge. So I, I know there are others because you guys, some of you guys have reached out to me. I know there are others like myself who have still not bought a a, a Series uh, or Elite Series Two controller because it released so close to the Xbox Series X that you're like. I'm going to wait for a Series 3 so it's modeled and designed after the Xbox Series controller because I don't want this one to be dated, you know, the second I buy it for $200 fucking dollars or whatever. But knowing that there is now the option to buy it for less money and then get to customize it and, you know, make it green and yellow and all the ridiculous shit I want to do to it, I, I, I can't say no to this. I, I, have to, I have to get one of these, so... Yeah, when, when this comes to Xbox Design Labs later this year, I, I, I will finally be caving and buying one of these motherfucking things. And it is so cool that you can buy the accessories pack and all that shit separate. Obviously, that is because they know there are a lot of people who already own the Elite Series controller who will want to buy either the white one or design their own. And this way, they'll have the option to uh, buy an additional controller without having to spend the extra money on all the accessories that they already have. Very smart. Obviously, these are very niche premium uh, accessories and peripherals and periphery, whatever, it, that only a small select segment of your market are going to be interested in anyway. So you're probably more likely to be selling repeat controllers to the same small group of people than you are going to really expand your market of people who are willing to buy this thing. So obviously, I think this is smart. That's why they're selling the accessories separately. But now it makes you wonder, well... I'm sure, I'm sure they have inventory of the black controller that they want to push, and maybe that's why. But now it makes you wonder, why not just sell all versions, regardless of color, of the of the series controller at 130 without the accessories, and then just make the accessories an optional add-on for all? Because now it's like the whole thing of like, well, you know, what if someone 
you know, doesn't, you know, they want the black one, but they don't care about the accessories, but you can only make that decision with the white one. It opens up a whole new can of worms, but I'm not going to get into that because that's so oddly specific and niche that I don't think it's going to be a real issue. I think the bigger news and the more exciting thing here is just how fucking cool this is that you're going to be able to custom. Again, this, these are the things where Xbox wins. It's like, yeah, sure. We're still all playing like fucking, I don't, I don't know. We're all playing like DJ hero two because Xbox won't put out a fucking new video game but i mean you can get game pass ultimate with all your buddies for like three dollars a month and look at this awesome pro controller that you can customize i made mine pink fuck you you know it's just like all this stuff where it's like it's so easy to love xbox when they do this shit because you're like ah come on it's okay. sure we're never going to actually get to see perfect dark it's probably not even an actually in development it's probably just vaporware but like come on the controller's pink now so <laughs> i i know this is so ridiculous but for some reason, this story has got me like pretty pretty excited because I get I guess I I'm excited easily by things that don't actually matter. But um, no, I think this is cool. Again, it's just more of that super pro consumer bullshit that Xbox is all about. It, it just makes this stuff makes it more fun when you when you can take your gaming experience and personalize it more like this. It just makes it more fun. Like I know for the longest time, I was always the guy who was like, whatever controller comes with the console is the controller I will use from the day I buy the box until the day I upgrade to the next gen version, you know? Like my Xbox 360, I used that same fucking elite black controller from the day I bought my Xbox 360 elite until forever. And that thing is worn to hell. Those thumbsticks are broken and fucked. There's no coming back. But so at some point later in the Xbox One generation, I was like, you know what? I'm so tired of like the last three years of a console generation dealing with such a beat up worn out controller fuck it you know i'm an adult now i i, I make disposable income i can i can splurge on a, a 60 dollar controller and i uh i bought a blue i don't know why i just bought a blue xbox one controller a, a couple of years back maybe like two years before the series x came out and I, I was just like you know what this is this is cool just like having like a black Xbox, but my controller's blue. I'm like, I don't know why this brings me joy. I'm supposed to be looking at the TV when I play video games, not my hands, but just knowing my controller's blue makes gaming fun again. Like, it just refreshes my enjoyment of this platform. It's arbitrary, it's stupid, but it's it's these little things that, that matter, little touches, you know? It's it's fun. And um, ever since then, I've been converted. I've been converted. I'm a, I'm a believer. You know, shortly after the Series X came out, I bought that electric yellowish, yellowish green one they have that controller, and that's the controller I usually use on my Series X. I just think it's such a fun-looking color, and I've been converted. I've always wanted to get involved with the design lab, and now I think with the Series controller, fuck it, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a cool controller. It's going to say hashtag Xbox on. It's going to be all the colors of the rainbow. I'm going to have the biggest thumbsticks on it. I'm going to have triggers all over it. It's going to be such a cool controller. You guys are going to be taking pictures and posting on Instagram and and probably bitches coming up and be like, oh, I see your controller, baby. Can I get a picture of that? And I'll be like, please, please stand back, ma'am. Probably not going to happen. But anyway, guys, that's um that's your update on uh, gaming accessories. Let's talk cyberpunk. Holy shit, we're going to talk about something that's not directly Xbox. It's something talking about a different video game from someone who isn't an Xbox. All right. CD Projekt Red have announced that Cyberpunk 2077's first expansion is titled Phantom Liberty, revealed during a Night City Wire broadcast this past Tuesday, which was viewable, uh, uh, sorry, viewable in the video above, sorry, that's from the article. The spy thriller expansion will feature, ooh, look at that, spy thriller genre. Expansion will feature the return of Johnny Silverhand, the character pl uh, played by Keanu Reeves, alongside a new cast of characters. It's coming to PC, Xbox Series X and S, Google Stadia, and PlayStation 5. That's right, it will not be coming to Xbox One or PS4. In fact, CD Projekt Red announced that the game's new 
Edge Runner update, also known as Patch 1.6, will be the last major update for the game on Xbox One and PS4. So let's stop there for a second. Or actually, let's just continue. It it also appears that this will not only be the first expansion for Cyberpunk 2077, but also the last. Quote, in an update uh, released actually today, quote, we can confirm, this is CD Projekt Red, we can confirm that the expansion in the works right now is the only planned expansion for development for Cyberpunk. We've made these difficult decisions to develop only for PC, Stadia, Xbox Series X and S, and PlayStation 5, as the scope of the expansion makes releasing it for previous-gen consoles technologically challenging without compromising player experience. Hmm... It looks like they learned their lesson. A little bit too late, I guess. But um, okay, here it is. I mean, the I, I watched the trailer. I still have not beaten this game. I, I started it once just to get a feel for it to see if it was really as broken as people say it was. Uh, in my experience, in my two hours with the game, I will say the game was not broken for me. But I was like, you know, what? I'm going to wait for some serious updates just in case. And then I'll play it later. And then I just never got around to it. But I will say the little bit of time I spent with this game, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I, I am excited to one day get to it. And uh, seeing this trailer for this uh, expansion got me excited to one day come back to this game because the expansion looks fucking cool. I'm excited for this. And, you know, I never played The Witcher 3, just not my cup of tea. But I know that fans of The Witcher were incredibly uh, pleased and just and just uh, really, really, um, I guess, really surprised with just how good the expansions for that game were. What were they? Blood and Wine and I forget the other one. But, um yeah, I, I know Witcher 3 w- was known for having just, like, really exceptional DLC, really exceptional expansions, and so I expect Cyberpunk 2077 to be no different, but, yeah, I mean, the thing that sucks about this game is, like, I just have no doubt that Cyber <laughs> that Cyberpunk 2077 would have just been a mind-bending, awesome fucking game that people would have loved, and it would have been all high praise. It would have been the, the Elden Ring discussion but circa 2020 had they just had the fucking balls to be like guys we are delaying this game another six months and it's canceled on xbox one and ps4 we're not doing the previous gen version if they had just had the fucking uh, you know the the guts to make that decision as tough as it may have been at the right time it's so crazy to think what the alt history would have been because it seems like a lot of people are, you know, now that sometimes time has passed, it's been almost two years. It really does seem like a lot of people are like, hey, Cyberpunk 2077 is actually a really good game now that all the, the hatred has kind of di- died down a little bit. Let's focus on the game itself because the game is really quite good. And um, here we are with the expansion and, you know, they learned their lesson from all the although the way that that whole ordeal blew up in their face and they're like hey we're not putting this expansion on old hardware because we know this game should have never been released on old hardware it should have only ever been a next gen game and you know it's good to see that they learned their lesson i mean better late than never but i don't know it's just it's just too bad because i feel like cd project red would be i think considered probably top five most revered developers right now had they just canceled, delayed the game a little longer and canceled the PS4, Xbox One version of the game. Had they just made that tough decision, I think right now, the the way people look at Cyberpunk would have been, that game's a motherfucking masterpiece. And, it, and that's it. But um, I think they're trying to position themselves for, you know, they've been getting a little bit of goodwill back. People are kind of forgetting, because you know how gamers are. It's We're all mad about this today, and then tomorrow it's something else. And so they're trying, they're like, maybe, you know, with this update, with this new expansion, this will be a fresh start. We can kind of hit the reset on Cyberpunk. I think they, you know, they want they want to try and get back as much of the goodwill that they burned. And I, I think they will find some success in that. It's just disappointing that I think Cyberpunk, 
at this point, it will probably never be what it would have been had they just done the right thing. And um, it's too bad because this expansion looks great. They're making all the right moves now. But, uh, you know, just uh, the story remains. Y'all fucked up. Anyway, that's it for all of our updates. Stories of Mild Amusement. Corrections, there were none. Guys, we are ready to move on with the podcast. Let's go ahead and talk about the news. But before we can talk about the news, I'm going to take it slow for a second talk about the games I've been playing this week. Because I'm excited to tell you about some of the games I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, guys, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. So we are now officially in, you know, we're, we're comfortably in September. I think, uh, especially here in Orlando, Florida, the themed capital, themed entertainment capital of the world. It's Halloween. You know, it's Halloween. I know for a lot of you guys, like, dumbass, Halloween's not till October. No, it's Halloween. All the theme parks got their Halloween events going on. Everyone around here is wearing their fucking Haunted Mansion Crocs and shit. We're all ready for the spooky season. It's it's Halloween time, ostensibly. And uh, our friends over at Pepsi Company, uh, creators of the Mountain Dew soda franchise. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's a franchise now. I have decided to release for the fourth consecutive year in a row. Mountain Dew Voodoo. Haha, <laughs> my favorite. My favorite Mountain Dew Voodoo. Uh, Mountain Dew Voodoo for the past two years has not been the best Mountain Dew flavor. It's not been a particularly great one, but it is still something I live for because this is, you know, for those uninitiated, let me let me let me bring it back for you. So every September, October, Mountain Dew releases Voodoo, which is a um, a Halloween limited time only flavor of Mountain Dew. But the twist is the flavor is mystery. It's a mystery flavor, and every year the flavor is slightly different from the last year. So the first year, it was something of like an orange creamsicle-ish type thing, and it was phenomenal. The second year, it was like that amped up a little bit, and it was phenomenal. The third year, it tasted like fucking ground-up powdered sugar and Smarties, not the Canadian Smarties covered in chocolate. I'm talking about the American powdered chalky hard candies. Uh, just ground up with fucking sugar added and, and, and carbonated uh, carbonated water. It, it is just absolutely horseshit, the voodoo we got last year, unfortunately. Following two great years of this Halloween-exclusive flavor, last year they dropped the ball. And so this year, for Voodoo 4, year number four of Voodoo, uh, I had tempered expectations. I did not expect for them to... Um, I did not expect for it to be good, honestly. But new curveball, Mountain Dew's going really hard into the zero-sugar game. I think they're catching on with the fact that my generation and, and, and beyond are, are really getting into the zero sugar game. We don't drink as much soda as our parents' generation. And when we do, we prefer to go for the stuff that's going to give us cancer, not diabetes, okay? So give us the zero sugar. And um, so Voodoo 4 is out. It's all new flavor. It's available in regular or zero sugar. We we weren't able to find the regular in stock, although we are still trying to find it. We were able to get our hands on a 12-pack of the zero sugar version of this. So we bring it home. Of course, the most exciting thing about Voodoo is, one, it's an indicator that Halloween is in the air. And two, the can art is just fucking awesome. They got, like, this Mountain Dew Grim Reaper on it. If you think I'm if, – if you're not – I don't know where this is available outside the U.S. I assume it's available in Canada. But, you know, if you're not a North American listener and you don't know what the fuck Mountain Dew Voodoo, V-O-O-D-E-W is, you're probably just like, Jesse, you sound like a goddamn moron. Look, look this soda up, okay? The can art is very cool, okay? I don't need to justify it. But anyway – so we, we have the zero sugar. We're still looking for the regular one. So you got to understand, obviously, zero sugar usually doesn't taste quite as good as the regular one. The flavor's a little off, a little more artificial, whatever. We crack open one of these bad boys. And again, I'm remembering last year, Voodoo 3 was not very good. Not expecting the world from this. I got to say, it's definitely not as good as the first and second version of Voodoo were. It's not that good. 
but it is good. It's a, it's a big step up from year three, and it's definitely enjoyable enough that I can actually get through it. In fact, last year, Voodoo 3 was so goddamn bad, I still have like half a 12-pack somewhere in my pantry just sitting there waiting for the sweet embrace of death because I refuse to drink that shit. But Voodoo 4, not the case. The can art, even cooler this year than last year. The flavor, a big improvement over last year, but not quite as good. To me, it tastes like a combination of the first and the third year's flavor, like half and half. So, like, there's, like, half of this drink I absolutely adore. I'm like, ooh, you get a little bit of that, like, that, like, citrusy, creamsicle flavor, and then you get another half, which is, like, ooh, it kind of tastes like you get that, like, Smarties, powdery sugar flavor a little bit. I don't love it, but the thing is, I'm trying not to pass total judgment because I've only gotten my hands on the zero-sugar variant of the flavor so far. So, once I have access to the proper regular flavor, I will truly be able to make a full assessment of this year's voodoo, but so far, the assessment is, it's an improvement over last year, and uh, the can art, very good, very, very good, muy bueno. So yeah, that's Mountain Dew Voodoo 4, of course, that is what I will, obligatory, that's my obligatory beverage from now through October 31st, because if you don't, you lose your spooky kid card, and uh, your mom will come over to your apartment and take all of your Funko Pops away from you, so I gotta do that, Uh, but yeah, Voodoo, shout out to that, if you are uh, a listener who has access to the wacky, ridiculous cancer slash uh, diabetes inducing Mountain Dew flavors that release regularly. I highly recommend you go out and try yourself some voodoo because it is a great way to get into the Halloween spirit. But that's what I've been trying. That's my food beverage related thing I want to talk about this week. Shout out to Halloween, best holiday of the year. It's coming up. We're in the season. I'm excited to tell you guys about all the horror games I'm planning on playing this season, but ultimately won't get around to. Now, that's it for what I've been eating. Let's talk about the games I've been playing. And guys, this is where I'm most excited to talk to you this week because holy fucking Tiny Tina's Wonderland. I've not been playing Tiny Tina's Wonderland, but I have been playing a game called Tiny. It's Tiny Kin. We got a comment from Mr. Temple Knight who writes in and says, Jesse, you have Tourette's. No, that's not what he said. He says, Jesse, I played Tiny Kin because of your high praise for it, and I'm having a blast with it. Keep the indie gems coming to Game Pass. Temple Knight a fucking man. This game is a goddamn joy. I there. It's weird because I actually don't get this feeling a lot with games anymore. I, I feel like back when I was a younger gamer, when I was like, when I was a kid, and I was in like my prime Nintendo gamer years, I used to get this feeling more often. But um, it, it's rare you come across this now. But this year, I've had this experience two times now. Once with Nobody Saves the World, and now a second time with Tinykin, where. This is one of those games that is simply just an absolute joy to play. It's not like, oh, this game is okay, but it's addicting. You know, like, think about like, a, I don't know. I don't want to speak ill of Destiny because I love Destiny. I think Destiny is genuinely a great game. But sometimes you play a game like Destiny not because it's just so good, but because it's like, this game's pretty good and I'm addicted to it. Like, stop me, you know? It's like eating, it's like getting into your, it's like, speaking of Halloween, it's like eating Halloween candy. You're like, a couple pieces, you're like, oh, this is good. And then a couple pieces later, you're just like, I'm, at this point, I'm just addicted. I'm just eating out of pure addiction. I don't mean there's a slight to Destiny. It's just that generally when I play Destiny, I'm not like, oh my God, I'm just smiling, having such a good time. You know, you get a little sweaty, you get a little aggressive, you get a little competitive. Tiny Kin is just one of these games where every now and then you, you pick it up and you play it and you're like, it is, it is smart. It is well-designed, it's beautifully crafted. And it's not trying to piss me off and challenge me, but it's not beating me over the head and treating me like a fucking idiot by trying to, like, constantly point me in the direction of what I need to do at all times. It is just a game that is so confident in its design and so confident in its uniqueness and its charm that it just 
embraces what it is, does its own thing to the fullest extent it can, and you just have a, a, a visual, like an actual fucking notable smile on your face the whole time you play because it it's just pure joy. I like I, I don't even know what I can equate it to. You know, it's like Tiny Kin, just like Nobody Saves the World, is that video game equivalent of just like getting on a roller coaster. It's not the craziest roller coaster you've ever been on. You know, it's not the craziest ride you've ever been on. It's not trying to break new ground, but it's just so insanely fun. And that's all, it's all it needs to be. It's just fun. And so I, I don't know why I keep going on and on about this without just telling you why the game is good. But this game is, I, I, I'm in love with it. So I, I, last week, I, I, I was struggling to kind of explain what kind of game it is. I think I, I overexplained it last week. It, it's, it's really simply just a 3D puzzle platformer game. Obviously, it has a lot of Paper Mario inspiration from its aesthetic with the 2D kind of animated cutout in a otherwise 3D world, but the gameplay itself is heavily inspired by Pikmin, no doubt. So obviously lots of Nintendo influence on this game. But the thing is, you know, Pikmin has a lot of strategy, real-time strategy influence in it, where, you know, you, you, all the different Pikmin have their different abilities, and you gotta harvest them and collect them and find all their... It's like a strategy game. It's like, I only have this much time to accomplish this task. It's like, okay, I need my blue Pikmin over here working on this thing. I'm gonna take my yellow and my red Pikmin, and they're gonna be over here destroying this wall and attacking this enemy. And where are my fucking pink and white Pikmin? I need them over here doing this. And it's like, you know, it's like you're controlling an army. You're trying to time everything and, and, and strategically plan out your 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 thing. Tinykin takes the Pikmin formula where it's like you got these different Tinykin, which all have different colors and abilities and they all do different things, but it takes away the stress of like, you only have 40 minutes to complete this task and you have to strategize. It just makes it kind of a little more collect-a-thon, 3D platformer, light, light, light puzzle solving where it's just like, yeah, the uh, the the purple Tinykin are strong and they can pick things up and the red ones uh, can make things explode and and the yellow ones can build bridges to help you reach faraway points and all this thing. And they all do different things, but there's no rush. You know, each level, there's only six levels in the game. They're all about 40 minutes to an hour long depending on how, much, depending on how long you want to spend in the level collecting and trying to do it all and see it all. And it's just like every level is just a big toy box. You know, it's like, it's like, think Toy Story. You've been shrunk down to the size of a toy and you're in this big house. It's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or Toy Story. And uh, it's just fun to fucking explore. Like one level is the bathroom. One level is the kids room. One level is the kitchen. One level, you know, one level is like out, outside in the yard or whatever. And it's just so much fun to be shrunk down and to do this little this sandbox level where it's like, I'm just going to explore. How do I reach that height? Uh, oh, what, which tiny kin will help me solve that little thing over there so I can collect all those honeydew, which are like your gold coins. And, oh, I want to help this guy do accomplish that task so I can lock this puzzle piece and that will help me collect all the things so I can get the achievements and all that. It's just, it's just pure fun and joy. None of the puzzles are like, oh, it hurts my brain. I have to really think hard to play it. No. It's all very intuitive. It's all mechanic-driven puzzles. It's not It's not like, oh, think really hard. What was that thing that the guy said 30 minutes ago? It's, it's not that. It's just, okay, what, what tools at my disposal can I use to reach that platform? It's just all super fun, super fluid. It's that kind of smart level design where, like, it's not hard, but the game, the game design is so good at kind of helping you reach the point of understanding what to do and how to uh, approach situations that it makes you feel like you're doing it, but really you know it's just really clever level design that's kind of helping guide you through uh, what to do at, at each point throughout the level. 
And um, man, I just don't know what to say. I, I just think this game is absolutely phenomenal. It's it's so good. I, I tried to savor the game as much as possible. I started on a Saturday afternoon. I was like, I want to make this game last me at least like three or four days. I don't I don't want to just blast through it. I couldn't help myself. I, I, I beat probably 85% of it in one sitting on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I had like two more levels left and I ended up just knocking them both out. I remember like as I reached the last level, I was like, I need to stop maybe wait a few days and just savor this. Like, I want to fully appreciate and enjoy this. I couldn't help myself. I just had to blast through the game. And it's so rare when you, you, you know, it's so rare when you have that experience in a game where it's like, I just, I don't want to wait. I don't want to savor. I don't want to put it down. I want to fucking play the game. And uh, it's just, man, it's such an absolute joy. This is a massive get for Game Pass. And, and, and these are the things I think are the most important for Game Pass because ultimately the thing that's going to get you in the door with Game Pass is, oh my God, I can just pay $15 and get Starfield. I don't have to buy it. Wow, Game Pass is such a great deal. Sure, that. Halo Infinite, Starfield, Redfall, these games are going to get you in the door with Game Pass. But it's the discovery of these other games that you otherwise would have never known about or never thought to give a try or anything like that, like Tinykin, which are going to win you over. These are the things that are going to expand your horizons teach you about all these different genres and game types you otherwise never would have given the light of day to and this is the true benefit and the joy of game pass now this is a game i definitely would have played or bought with or without game pass but it makes me so happy that's a game pass title because i'm excited that there are people who probably are you know especially on xbox dude xbox is a platform you know aside from like fucking voodoo vince and in 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 blinks a time sweeping cat you know this is a platform that's very much centered around mature rated games gun violence racing sports and things like that and and i suspect you know there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who might be predominantly pc or xbox game gamers from their whole gaming history you know, games like Tinykin, which are heavily Nintendo-inspired, might be a massive blind spot to you. You might never, like, f- fucking, like, Pikmin and, and Paper Mario and shit. I'm not playing those games. Those games, those games are kids, whatever, you know? But thanks to Game Pass, I think it just lowers that barrier of entry more than ever before. Where it's like, dude, why not? We're in the slowest fucking game release year in a hell of a long time. I know ain't nothing happening right now. You're not getting Starfield this year. Don't you fucking tell me otherwise. You know, Call of Duty's not for a little while. Batman's not for a little while. Uh, Harry Potter got delayed like I fucking told you it would. Uh, like, go play Tiny Kid. It's, it's great. Go go expand your horizons. Try something different. And it's just... And that's not me telling you right now to do that. Do what you fucking want. But it's just me being joyful knowing that that is... That is the benefit of Game Pass, and that is the the kind of world we live in now where uh, I think there's just so much more potential for exposure to great games like this because of plat- platforms like Game Pass, which, you know, sift through. There are so many games coming out all the time. You know, it's so hard to keep up with all the new stuff. But thanks to Game Pass, you know, there's a pretty well-curated list of, like, hey, people have gone through and, and made sure that these games are notable. And uh, if something's on Game Pass, it's at least not garbage, you know? And so it, it helps bring attention to especially great projects like this. And I, I just hope that a lot of people are able to play this game and discover this game thanks to Game Pass. And in general, you know, developer uh, Splash, was it? They're called Splash Games or, yeah, Splash Studio or something like that. Sorry, I forgot. Um, God, they, I mean, this project is just so, so good. You can tell they're heavily Nintendo inspired. The only other game they ever made, I, I'd have to look it up, I forgot, um, came out maybe four years ago or three or four years ago. It was like a 2D version of like a Splatoon kind of spinoff type knockoff game. You can tell they are heavily inspired by Nintendo games. But um, I always wanted to play that game and never gave it a go. But oh my god, I'm so glad I didn't sleep on Tinykin. Because this game, 
I got I gotta say, man, in, in a world where we're not getting Redfall this year, we're not getting Starfield this year. Um, Halo's just been a huge letdown this year, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, I, I'm so grateful for Tinykin and Nobody Saves the World because these games are easily at this point my favorite games I've played of the year. And yeah, I'm looking forward to Modern Warfare 2. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Sonic Frontiers, no doubt. But you know, until we get there, at least like these two games have absolutely stolen my heart this year. And um, man, I, I just think this game is so great. I highly, highly recommend it. It's super cute, super fun, and uh, yeah, six to seven hours really well spent. That's I'll say. All right, that's the the main thing I've been playing this um, week. The other game I've been playing uh, it actually just came out the other day, as of the time of this recording. Disney Dreamlight Valley. Now, of course, I know what you're thinking. Of course, Jesse's playing the fucking Disney Game Pass game. Well, yeah, no goddamn shit. Of course, I'm going to give this game a go. You didn't think I wasn't. Uh, but, uh, yeah, of, co- of course, yeah, I downloaded it. I played it. Um, I probably put about two hours into it yesterday. I got to be honest. I don't know what I was expecting this game. I tried not to follow it too closely because I was like, let me speak as a Disney fan. <laughs> these things are a dime a dozen. There's always these little cash grabby, shitty little Disney games. There's a lot of them on like DS and Wii where it's like, dress your character, run around a Disney enchanted fantasy world, talk to Belle and the Beast and fucking Mermaid and do quests and decorate your character and make them look super lame and eat a cake with Mickey Mouse. It's just like this stupid, shitty, like, yeah, five-year-old, buy a video game. Tell mom and dad to buy you this video game, please, kind of stuff. And I didn't know if this was going to be that or if it was going to be like a really, really cheap mobile game, kind of ported over to console. It is developed by Gameloft, after all. They're the fucking French kings of game development on, on mobile. And uh, I just I had really no expectation for this game whatsoever. I really expected 20 minutes in, I'll be like, thanks, no thanks, and delete it and move on with my life. But got to be honest, man. I'm having a good time with this game. I don't love the art style. I don't love the character creator. I don't I don't love the jank. This game has some serious jank. You can tell it's made by a mobile developer that doesn't have a lot of console experience. Like simple things like just moving your character with the analog stick sometimes get gunked up. You'll fully press the analog stick in a, in a direction. You'll barely move at all. It, it's got some jank. It's got some shit going on with it. It's not great. But um, I, it seems like all the core elements, the design philosophy behind the game is actually fairly decently fleshed out now and there's also a lot more mechanic to it it's essentially what it boils down to is a disney animal crossing knockoff that's really what the genre or the or the type of game that we're looking at here is and uh, i mean them the best way possible animal crossing is a great game it's a game I, i i mostly had my fill of you know i played animal crossing a lot on ds and 3ds and wii and a little bit on gamecube back in the day i really had no interest in the switch one that came out a few years ago because it just feels like one of those things where it's like, I've had my fill. Animal Crossing's a good game. I like it, but I'm, I'm, I'm good. But man, it's it's weird playing this game the, uh, for a couple hours yesterday. I'm like, I, I guess I didn't realize I still have a little bit of a hankering for some Animal Crossing-esque gaming still, I guess. Or maybe this this twist on it is is good. I swear, this isn't coming from the perspective of like, I'm a Disney fan. Of course I like it. I just, I just genuinely find this game soothing and fun. You know, it's got beautiful renditions of classic Disney songs, which are soothing and, and, and just nice background music it's an, it's a it's a nice game to play if you're just looking for something to kill a little bit of time or you've had a long day and you want to like chill out and just do something that's a you know just vibe with a game for 30 minutes or an hour but yeah it's good i mean it's got all the mechanics it's you know ripping vines out of the fucking 
out of the ground, uh, fucking shoveling up potholes and all the watering plants and fishing for fish and all the things you do in Animal Crossing, running around. It's it's so perfect. Instead of Tom Note being a greedy motherfucker who you got to pay your mortgage to, you got Scrooge McDuck being a greedy motherfucker who's trying to sell you a princess dress and pay your mortgage and all this shit. So it's it's perfectly in line with like Animal Crossing, but for Disney. And I haven't explored it too too much, but. Yeah, surprisingly, I, I I think it's okay. I'm going to continue to play a little bit more of it. I don't think this game is going to win me over and be a time sink for me by any stretch of the imagination. I find it... I don't know what it would take for us to ever get a, a Disney licensed game that I would ever be able to love and enjoy the way we once had uh, Disney Infinity. I mean, it's, it's no Disney Infinity, nor is it trying to be. But, um, you know, for a licensed Disney kind of shameless cash grabby type game, I'm... I think it's pretty thought out and fleshed out and mostly well-developed. I think a couple updates could really bring a lot more life to this game, and it's not bad. My girlfriend actually got addicted to it. She was like, oh, this game does look kind of cute. I'll give it a go. And then next thing I find out, like, I'm, I'm asleep at night. I wake up in the middle of the night, and she's like fucking 4 a.m., just like still playing this game. So she's into it. She's liking it. Um, so that that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you this is, this is obviously a game aimed more towards younger audiences. But, you know, if you're a Disney fan – there's definitely some stuff to enjoy here. Um, certainly if you're someone who just wants like kind of a chill experience or is looking for a decent animal crossing alternative for Xbox, why not? It, again, it's on game pass. I, I looked at it cause it has cross save. I was like, huh, maybe I'll, maybe this would be a fun game to play on switch. You know, if it's free to download, nope for it's including game pass 30 bucks to 50 bucks on switch. So another good get for game pass subscribers, but yeah, nothing too dramatic, but you know, maybe if you have kids to play with, or again, if you're a Disney fan, it's it's a decent time. It's not no it's not great, but it's not bad. Uh, Halo Infinite is the other game I'm playing. I don't have really much to say about this, except I've noticed this weird trend in me. I guess I'm a fucking hipster trash bag, but I've noticed this problem with me where when people are like not talking about Halo or praising Halo or whatever, I'm just like, eh, sh- fuck you, Halo Infinite's eh, it's disappointing. And then when everyone's like pissed about Halo Infinite, I'm like, oh, I want to play Halo Infinite. And then I play it, I'm like, oh, I'm having a good time. Why do people hate on this game so much? But uh. <laughs> no, I've been, I've been having fun with um that uh, land grab mode um, where it's just like, you know, it's like you get the 11 posts and you just got to grab all the, the quick like domination spots and they keep spawning in different points of the map. It's like Team Slayer, but with a little bit of domination thrown in there. And, and I enjoy it. Um, I, I want to enjoy Team Slayer, but the BR in this game is so fucking sweaty, especially because you can't turn off crossplay. So I never enjoyed Team Slayer. So I feel like because you always start with ARs in this mode, it's made this kind of my default blow off steam casual mode. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like 30 levels in on the, the season two battle pass. And at the rate we're going with everything being delayed, I think I'm, I'm about, uh, you know, perfectly on track to have the battle pass finished by the time season three finally arrives. And, uh, I don't know, I've been, I've been having a decent time with Halo Infinite, but we'll save that, I guess, for a little bit, because once we get into the news in just a minute here, we're, we're starting off with Halo and we got a lot to say about Halo. So, the other game I've been playing, but that's really it for what I've been playing, guys. It's been a fun week of gaming for me, and uh, with that said, let's jump into the news and move on with our lives, guys. I'm sure you're itching to find out why Halo Infinite actually got pulled off of store shelves and retracted due to lead poisoning, and now is being um, shipped and farmed out to a new studio. The people who actually made Duke Nukem Forever, not the actual version, but the original but canceled version of the game back in the day. Guys, I mean, it's just a mess of a news week. we got a lot to get into here. Hey, um, one other thing I, I just remembered I wanted to mention uh, in regards to the series or Elite Series 2 controller. 
Now, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but it's, it seems kind of notable. PlayStation finally, finally, finally announced their competitor to the Elite Series controller like a week or two ago. They call it like the Dual the DualSense Edge controller or something like that. Um, again, it's basically just their con- their competitor. I think it's funny that uh, it, it's weird that the Elite Series controller had been out for so, so long. And then PlayStation didn't have a, a competitor for the longest time. And then they finally announced one like way too late. And then Microsoft's like, oh, yeah, we got an, another version of the Elite Series controller. Fuck you. And also, the, with the ability to buy it without the accessories, I think it's probably going to be the cheapest skew of a premium competitive controller there is. So <laughs> I just n- notable little uh, thing just put there. But anyway, guys, let's get into the actual news. Starting with Halo, as promised, we'll try our best to remain optimistic about this. But um, unfortunately, we got we got some Halo blues to get into. VGC relays that 343 Industries have confirmed a new round of Halo Infinite content delays as well as cancellation of the game's local split-screen co-op mode. Campaign co-op, the Forge beta, and Season 3 have all been pushed back. The studios confirmed a develop, in a development update video and a content roadmap, both of which are viewable online now. Campaign co-op, which was previously targeted for an August launch, will now arrive in November, despite it already having a testing flight that took place. So too will the su- uh, will the Forge open beta, which was previously scheduled to arrive in September. The game's third season of content, Echoes Within, which was supposed to come out around November, December, has been delayed until March of next year. The split-screen co- uh, couch co-op multiplayer, which had previously been announced, has been canceled with 343's re- uh, reallocation of studio resources, quote, in order to improve and accelerate ongoing live service development and to better address player feedback and quality of life updates. During a 30-minute update, Joseph a video update, Joseph Staten, uh, Sean Barron, and Brian Girari discussed the upcoming roadmap, which uh, stretches out until June of next year. The game's winter update will run from November 8th until March 7th and will be included in the aforementioned Forge beta, campaign co-op, and mission replay. The update will also include new maps, detachment, and Argyle? 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 Fuck me, I can't read. The following season, Echoes Within Season 3, will will include a new weapon, a 100-tier battle pass, and new equipment. A custom game browser, new game modes, and updates to Forge beta have been announced for this time frame, which begins March 7th and runs through June 27th, so a much shorter season than uh, Season 2, that's for sure. Now, Apparently, one last caveat, apparently there's been an exploit that people have discovered regarding the cancellation of local split-screen co-op. According to IGN and many, many people online, following the news that local split-screen co-op is no longer going to be in the game, players have already discovered a way to take advantage of a, of a glitch to the home menu to make it happen anyway. So the steps, courtesy of Eurogamer and at Zenny underscore IC and at Halo Creation on Twitter, uh, you can... Follow the these steps and just get around it anyway. So if you go to the campaign menu and collect uh, and click load to save, you can hit play and while and quickly jump over to your friends list as soon as you hit play. As soon as the loading map appears, go to your friends list, join a friend who's idling in the menus, and you can then leave the fire team in a custom lobby under server, select offline, and now you can connect to other your other controllers to profiles and click play. It's an oddly specific order of operations to figure that out, but of course a, f- a bunch of fucking nerds figure that out. Now, obviously, 343 may patch this out at some point in the future, uh, as IGN reminds, but uh, if, for now, at least, it's here. Who knows if doing this might accidentally fuck up your save files or crash your Xbox, but for now, it seems like you can use this exploit to get around it and play local split screen anyway. Okay, there's so much to unpack here, 
in so many ways to attack this. I want to start with an angle because this happened like the day the podcast went live last week. So at this time, it feels kind of like old news. So I want to try to attack this story from an angle that maybe, maybe every other Xbox podcast hasn't already tackled it just to offer some grasp at, at food for thought, at least in some other light. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, because there is this ongoing belief, hopefully true, and in rumor that, you know, 343 know that the Halo Infinite content drought is real and that it fucking sucks and everything about this game and the way content in this live service game has gone has just been an utter and complete mess. Obviously, they know that. And and we got to properly attribute it, guys, because we know, yes, in some form or fashion, the game has been basically in development since the completion of Halo 5. So for fucking long ass time. But that's not, of course, the entirety of the story, because as we know from the reports from Bloomberg, from Jason Schreier, from all the people previous and current at 343 who've spoken out from all the reports, we know this game has had a massively tortured development. We know that the game we have today mostly got kicked into gear around 2019, not, you know, didn't start in 2015, 2016, whatever. So it, it's a mess of a project that's been started and stopped and rebooted and changed and rebuilt in the air so many different times in so many different ways. And the Halo Infinite we have today is not some one vision coherent project that started right after Halo 5 and was beautifully worked on from Sten to Stern all the way up until the release last last uh, November slash December. That's We just know that's not the story. And a lot of the rumoring and the murmuring is that and we know some of this to be true. Joseph Stain said this in interviews, I think late last year, that basically when when he got to 343, he was really pulled in. You know, he left Bungie, came to Microsoft. He was working with Xbox Publishing for a while. He was not working on Halo. And then at one point, you know, he was just kind of giving some advice to some heads and some leads at, at 343 and to uh, Bonnie Ross. And was it was basically just answering some emails and at one point said, Hey, there's, you know, if there's anything you guys need me to do, just let me know. I'm happy to help as like a consultant guy. And then basically was roped in through his generosity and kind of lending, you know, an inch and then, then kind of taking the whole, the whole mile as I guess, as the saying goes, but uh, was kind of roped in this situation of being like, Oh, Hey, you're offering to help here, do this. And, and, and you know, one thing led to another and Joseph Stain basically went from like guy who worked at Xbox game publishing to like now the guy who has to fix the mess at three, four, three and kept continually getting put, have more tasks and more responsibility thrown onto his plate until he basically got thrust into this leadership position at three, four, three that he finds himself in today. So we, we kind of know roughly that story, right? He said it himself. Um, and, and we've heard the stories about how basically when he got there, which was mostly when he really stepped into his role, which was mostly months after the Craig meme reveal of 2020 of the summer of 2020, basically into the fall of that year, his, his whole approach was, okay, guys, it looks like we have a pretty decent game here, but there's a lot of shit on the cutting room floor. We gotta, we gotta hone in on what the best part of this game is and figure out what we need to launch with. And, and the whole thing was Xbox. We need another year. Please delay this game and team. Let's hone in on what makes this game good. What are the best elements and aspects of this game? And let's try to push that to launch rather than try to get all the ideas into the game and, and try to make it just bloated ideas for the sake of having ideas. Let's try to have a unified division, focus on the core of this game and what its core identity is and push that to market. 
And we know, thankfully, luckily, you know, with the team at 343 against all against all odds and again and despite all the setbacks and the many behind the scenes issues, what 343 ultimately had with Halo Infinite was a really, really, really rock solid core experience. That's why we all played that first. You know, that first um, beta last, last summer, and, and we're like, holy fuck, this game is so promising. That's why when the game came out and we all played the campaign for the first time, you know, despite, you know, people like me having some issues with this game really just being Halo 7 and abandoning the plot points of Halo 5, you know, despite that, on its own merit, Halo Infinite's campaign is stupid fun and really, really cool with its storytelling and has some really high emotional moments. It's just a really genuinely great game on its own merit, you know? And we all loved Halo Infinite for a hot minute there. But I think what a huge part of the problem is, is that despite the fact that in the last minute, in that last year of development, some decent leadership was able to kind of steer the ship in the right direction and get you know, scrape together what was there and get the project as on track as they could, given the the constraints and the time they had, you know, despite all of that, which helped thankfully lead to a relatively solid launch and gave, gave us a really great initial impression of this game. Despite all of that, the struggle still remains. Once you get that base multiplayer out into the world, once you get that base campaign out into the world, the struggle still remains that this game has been in development hell in so many different iterations and fashions and been rebooted uh, so recently that throughout its development to where we're in this situation where like, sure, the core campaign's great. Sure, the core multiplayer's great, but we don't have any genuine roadmap, any true vision for what this quote-unquote games as a service is to be. And, and in a large way, one of the biggest mistakes... 343 ever made was in 2019 or 2020, whatever it was, I think 2020, by even acknowledging that this game was to be a games as a service. It would have been better if they had just pissed people off and left us all wondering what's the plan with this game and just treated it like any old Halo game and not called it a games as a service than for them to give it that title and then not be able to fulfill the promise. And so I, I, I think what we are genuinely looking at with Halo Infinite is they are, they are quite literally... I guess not quite literally because it's not a ship, it's a video game. But they are they are they are honestly trying to rebuild the ship, so to speak, in midair. Like that's what we're witnessing. It's not that 343 are dumb and incapable and incompetent. It sounds like there's really, really poor leadership at the top throughout most of the development of this project. And there was some brain dead, horrible, horrible um personnel and employee kind of uh, I guess, team management from probably higher up at Xbox, really outside 343, probably more with 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 the, the head leadership of Xbox, who enabled and allowed this fucking terrible system of contract workers to come in and out of the project all the fucking time. Like, dude, it, it was a little disheartening. There were times during Halo Infinite's beta where it's just like, for a couple months, some random dude with like, with like 800 followers on Twitter would just be like, hey guys, I'm working on... On Halo Infinite, you know, like the, the development and QA assistant campaign, whatever development sandbox design aesthetic. It's like whatever the fucking title was. And they're like, I'm working on Halo, blah, blah, blah. My credits are Assassin's Creed and fucking Need for Speed, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd like work there for six months. And then their Twitter would be like, fucking peace out, 343. Good luck with the rest of Halo. I'm going to go make fucking... Uh, Days Gone from PlayStation, or better yet, I'm going to make Rainbow Six Extraction. I don't fucking know. I'm just working on anything and everything. And it, there's just so many like weird stories like that where these like random figures would just like pop out of nowhere and be like, I'm the Halo guy. And then six months later, they just be like, 
fucking peace halo i'm gonna go work on diablo you know and so it's like in, in hindsight you know it's like oh man, we should have seen the writing on the wall who were these you know and it's those kinds of decisions this poor leadership this lack of unified vision this crazy lack of like a unified inspired coherent team that worked together and knew each other inside and out and had this unified vision and plan for this game clearly none of that was there so really, honestly, I'm not here to shit on Halo Infinite. I know this whole week has been shitting on Halo Infinite. When you really consider all the bullcrap this game faced in its development cycle and that 343 we're up against, it is amazing that Halo 3 is even as good as it is. Because, again, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's a massive content drought. There are some core basic features that it's embarrassing that are missing from this game. And there's so many things we can complain about. But I cannot believe that at the end of the day, they got the most important core elements of this game right. The gameplay feels excellent. The game looks good. It plays good. The campaign is a legit Halo campaign. Like, it's, they really did a great job with the parts that you just, you know, it's like the, the parts that aren't fixable, right? The core identity of Halo Infinite. The parts that you can't patch out or add content updates to fix. You know, that stuff, they got right. It's it's all the other stuff around it. They just can't fucking get their heads around, can't get on top of. And and so I bring all this up and all this preface and context to say, I really think the Halo Infinite situation really is a matter of, okay, we got the game across the finish line. We got the game out the door. Now we got to figure out this live service aspect. And I think just as much as the game really didn't even start to become the game it is today until about a year and a half before it actually hit the market, I think we're looking at another situation where it's like this promised live service Halo content didn't really start coming off the, you know, didn't really start getting off the ground and being developed or conceptualized until the game was already in the hands of players and the promise had already been made. And that is my guess. That is that is what I have to fucking detract from from the story we're seeing here and this ongoing issue we've had with Halo Infinite. And so I almost wonder if, and this is like some fucking tinfoil, like ninja fucking brain twisting thinking here, but I almost have to wonder if there's this idea at 343 where it's like, listen, 2022 is a wash. No one cares. The whole year is fucking disappointment, but 2023 is a big year. It is highly competitive. There's so many high profile games coming out. It's going to be hard to be seen and cared about. And I almost wonder if 343 is like, let's fucking cut our losses and just basically abandon 2022 as much as we have to. And then that way we can just work and work and work towards having as much ready for 2023 that even though that season two massive drought we've been in for what seems like three years at this point, you know, even though by the time we're from season two to season three, it'll have been seven generations and there will have been 13 more Honda Civic uh, models released and 12 new presidents and goddamn Kardashians will be great-grandparents by then. Despite the fact that that will all be the case and it will be rough to get through, by the time we finally get to Season 3, by having this long drought and all this time to kind of just, like, not support the game and then suddenly support the game, maybe, hopefully, the idea is that we've been given enough time to where now we have enough together, we have enough of an idea, enough developed and enough in, in, the, in the oven, so to speak, that the wheels are in motion, the game is in motion, the seasonal content, the roadmap is in action. You know, season three so far has promised to be a two or two and a half month season. That's normal. By Fortnite or Call of Duty standards, by most games with the fucking Battle Pass situation, that's normal. Cool. 
Maybe the plan is, guys, we just got to suck it up and get through 2022. But come 2023, the game will finally start getting a steady stream of content. And the reason is, if you just push out Season 3 now and you're just not ready to have a Season 4 shortly afterwards, you just prolong this Season 2 drought we've been in. But if you can kind of just cut off the faucet right now, do what you got to do, and then kind of reset for next year... Maybe the game stands a chance of competing and staying in the mindshare of an otherwise massively busy year that we're up against in 2023, where, you know, it's not going to be enough for Halo Infinite to be like, here's season two, see you next year, you know, where you need to have season three, season four shortly after that, season five shortly after that, we need to have like new weapons, new maps, new abilities, new shit coming regularly. And so that is the only thing I can guess, because I, I, I think right now the whole the whole plan is just like, hey... We had to delay the game from 2020 to 2021, and it was a big L. We kind of had to do the thing with the post-launch content where we just had to delay the roadmap for a while so that we can get ourselves caught up in development to the point where when we can finally start releasing stuff again, we have a steady stream of content. And the most important thing is getting that Forge mode out. I think this is the 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 train of thought that has been adopted by most of the Halo community, right? Is that just get Forge over the finish line because... Forge is going to be the thing where the community can take the game over. They can create new game modes. They can create new weapons. They can create new game types. They can create new maps. They can push the content out into the world while 343 struggles to get new official shit out the door. And I get that. You know, it, it is embarrassing to think that we know through all the leaks and all the videos and everything on the internet, like, dude, Forge is ready. We played co-op campaign online. There was a test flight for it. Why is that delayed till November? It's ready. You know, we like all the leaks and screenshots and videos we've seen of the new the new DRM bandit looking weapon, like DMR, sorry, bandit looking weapon. Like that shit leaked. Why does that game delay to like April next year? Like what the fuck? You know? And so maybe they are holding some content hostage, but again, I think my speculation is that they're just like, guys, we we need to endure this drought so that when we finally start releasing content, it's not like mini drought content, mini drought content. It's just like content, normal amount of time, content, normal amount of time. Because right now, they don't want to keep repeating this situation. And so that is my guess. That is my assumption is that some of this content is pretty much ready to go. But they don't want there to be a drought after every content drought uh, drop. They want there to be a sufficient amount of time between releases. And so we're paying the price up front today so that down the road the release schedule is a lot more normalized. That's my hope. That's my that's my guess. That's my interpretation. Because otherwise, I just really don't fucking truly get what's going on. And, and yeah, dude, it's 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 crushing. It sucks, man. Forge, it's like the thing we just need to get Forge out the window. We just get it out the door so we can fucking play. The, let the community make all the content, dude. We're seeing all the videos. People are making remaking PT in Halo. People are making Toy Story in Halo. People fucking making different infection modes and shit in Halo. People making Call of Duty zombies in Halo. It's so cool. We're just going to have to wait a little longer. It's so disappointing, but it, I mean, it is what it is. And, and you see the stories, you see the the mob on, online. Everyone's like, well, clearly someone has to pay for this. Like, uh, 343 needs to be removed from Halo. That's the dumbest fucking argument I've ever heard, man. It's so dumb. It's such a, it's such a brain-dead argument. Listen, I don't, and I don't advocate for anyone being removed from their job. Like, dude, I, I feel for human beings. I don't want anyone in this world to struggle and have to face that kind of hardship. So... Believe me when I say, I, I, I say what you will about Bonnie Ross. I'm sure she's a lot fucking better at that job than I could ever be. But 
unfortunately, she is the head of, of 343. She's she the figurehead of 343. And at least when it comes to 343, the buck stops with her. And if it's not her, then we go further up the ladder to Xbox. And so who's it then? Is it Matt Booty? Is it Phil Spencer? Like, I'm sorry, but someone ultimately is responsible for the mess here. I'm not saying, I'm not calling for someone's head or for someone's job. But I am saying, like, someone up that, up that ladder did fuck up. They mismanaged this project. They need to take responsibility for this situation. It's really quite bad. It really, really, truly is. And it's a massive disappointment because here's the thing that gets me the most upset is not as a Halo fan or for the Halo community. I don't really, to, to be quite honest, and I know this is kind of mean, like I probably shouldn't be saying this because it's insulting to some of your audience who support you in this podcast, but I don't really give a shit about the Halo community. Like there's a lot of entitlement. There's a lot of brats. I know there's a lot of normal people with realistic and reasonable expectations as consumers and people who have pumped money into this game, and invested time into it. But like, that's not really who I care about so much. What I feel bad for is like the team at 343 because the more and more this shit happens, the less, you know, someone from higher up in management takes responsibility for this. The 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 more time that the uh, that audiences are understandably just left to just fume and be upset and and and, and just kind of speculate on what the fuck is going on and what went wrong, the more and more this ends up just becoming the the problem of the you know, the everyday boots on the ground developers and, and, and people who work on Halo Infinite, the people who don't control the PR, the people who don't control the marketing, the people who don't control the release calendar, the people who have pretty much no role in any of this other than to be a developer, to be a contributor to the Halo Infinite project. And I, this is the thing that makes me sad is I don't want us to end up in a situation where the team, the mainstay at 343 are so down in the dumps and so fucking despondent and just shit on by the public, and so underappreciated, and so disrespected, to where 343 becomes this developer, where it's like, yeah, why would anyone want to work there? You know, you don't want to see it become that, because I genuinely believe, like, you see all these really dumb, like, like tiny brain Twitter takes, where people are just like, put Bungie back on Halo, or like, oh, Xbox is buying um, uh, Activision, put Treyarch on Call of Duty, or on Halo, put, put Infinity Ward on Halo. Listen, like, I'm all for, like, letting Treyarch or Infinity Ward do, like, a Halo spinoff, like, a sub-series uh, of Halo games. Like, that'd be fucking cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for that. But, like, when it comes to, like, core Halo, let, let me say this very clearly. There is not a single developer, it's development team in existence that is more suited to make Halo games than 343. I fucking know the name Bungie made Halos 1, 2, and 3. I know. But that Bungie that's out there making Destiny 2 expansions, that is not the same fucking Bungie. It's been 12 goddamn years since Halo Reach. Calm down. It's been 12 fucking years. The people that put out Halo Reach in September 2010 are not the fucking people that just announced Lightfall expansion for Destiny 2. And that group of people are not fucking suited to make Halo Infinite. They might not be the worst pick in the world, you know, if we're drawing developer names out of a goddamn hat. They might not be the worst pick, but they are certainly less suited for the job than 343, the development team that has been actively developing Halo games since 2010. I'm, I'm just, this just is how it works. And I know people want to shit on 343. They've always been, you know, they've always had their backs up against the wall. They've always been fighting this uphill battle. You cannot assume the mantle 
of Bungie and just be like, well, fucking let's let's continue out their legacy. And it, and, and and you're always going to be criticized no matter which way you go, right? With Halo Four and Five, like, well, they fucked with the formula too much. Well, it's like I don't know. You can imagine a world where they try to be really faithful to what Bungie did with Halos Two and Three, and people would have been mad. You can imagine a future where. They tried to deviate and do something very different, which is what they did with Halos 4 and 5, and people were mad. You can imagine any kind of permutation, any kind of combination of of direction to take with the franchise, and people would have been mad. 343 were always kind of pitted as the enemy because they were the guys taking this beloved franchise from the can-do-no-wrong masters of game development Bungie. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm right there with a lot of people. I think Bungie still this day is one of the great game developers of all time. I think... Their Halo games are some of the greatest games ever released. I think Destiny is a phenomenal game. But, guys, let's drop it. Let's move on with life. The people who make Halo these days are 343. And 343 might have some serious management issues. It might have some serious... uh, It might have had some serious kerfuffles and shit along the way with the development of this game. And I, I, I do think there are some people who need to take some responsibility for this shit. Um, if anything, just for just for the sake of protecting the team at large, you know, the people that don't have a say in all the things that were mismanaged and went wrong, that tried their best against the odds to make this the best game it could be, and still things fell short because, what, they relied on fucking contract workers for years? There's a fucking, like, interview report for, with Joseph Staten from that Game Developers Game Notebook podcast, and you'll listen to that episode. That's a really good podcast, by the way. Where they, um, the Game Maker's Notebook, hosted by Ted Price of Insomniac, where Joseph Stain was talking about how, like, when he got there, there was just, like, so many ideas being thrown at the fucking wall, so many things. They were, like, they were, like, conceptualizing, like, crafting and, like, fucking, um, um, harvesting pelts and shit from, from, from enemies and and things like that. Like, it's a fucking full blown Far Cry game. It's like, listen, clearly, 343 got away from themselves and we're doing too much shit and, and we're not focused and clearly visioned. But look at the Halo Infinite we did get. Tell me what game, aside from Halo Infinite, feels the most like Halo of any game you've played in the past decade. Because Halo Infinite, to me, for my money, sounds like it feels like a pretty damn good Halo game. It's just really unfocused and is really missing a lot of meat around the bones. And so I, I, I'm not trying to give 343 a big pass or anything for like, this. Is, like, this is a massive fucking blow. Like, th- I understand there's a lot of people who are like, dude, you lied. You said, you, Bonnie Ross said in 2016, it was a mistake to not have split screen co-op in Halo 5. We will make sure that's in Halo going forward. And there's some people saying, well, no, she never said that. She said co-op. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know, to, to be honest. I, I always interpreted that quote as, yeah, we'll put local split screen co-op in Halo going forward because you guys want it. That's always how I interpreted that. And so don't don't get me wrong. It's not lost on me that lies were made and or at the very least uh, promises were made that were very easily misinterpreted, misconstrued and and, and led expectations in the wrong direction. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm aware of all of that. But at the end of the day, it's like, man, I just listen, probably every podcast and, and, and discussion you hear on this story has probably told you like off with their heads with 343. And I, I'm just here to say, like, you got to understand this is probably a team mostly comprised of people who just want to get it right. Do you think anyone at 343 is out there like, man, I just really want to put out a game that's not quite as good as what Bungie did with Halo 3? Like, no, that's not the case. This is this is a team that is that is cursed in a lot of ways. And, and a lot of this team just doesn't have the resources and the ability and the power to overcome some of the true issues that are holding the project back, which is clearly a management issue. So, 
it is disappointing. It is shitty. I, I'll, I'll be honest on a personal level. I, I don't like the lying. and I don't like the misleading. And I do think Bonnie Ross needs, again, needs to take ownership and responsibility for that. But at the end of the day, like I have such a hard time being sympathetic with the whole like split screen local co-op. I need it. It's like, dude, I am sorry, but you just you couldn't convince me of this in 2015 when Halo 3 came out. You sure as hell can't convince me of this in 2022. You just I, I just refuse to believe that there is a massive swath of the of the Halo community, the Xbox community, uh, a platform so driven by the forward uh, future nature of online gaming. That, that, that I'm supposed to just accept and believe that everyone is just waited with bated breath to physically drive to their fucking friend's house so they can sit down on the couch and have their TV screen cut in half and so they can experience this campaign as a local co-op experience. I just refuse to believe that is a thing people are genuinely clamoring for. Clamoring for. Couch co-op, I understand it is a historical staple of the Halo franchise. I, I'll be honest, at least for myself, man, I have no fucking interest in someone trying to split my TV in half and share and share my couch to play Halo. I'd much rather you stay in your fucking home, keep your germs to yourself, and we can play over Xbox Live and I can enjoy all 65 inches of my TV without having to share with you, man. Like I I that that's one where I'm just like I don't I don't understand why people are so bent out of shape on that. If you're upset about the misleading and, and the lying and the lack of clear, honest direction from Bonnie Ross's statements, that I can understand and respect. But if you're generally crestfallen that local couch co-op is gone or isn't is, is being canned, it's like, I don't know. Let, let's maybe focus more on the fact that like custom games is broken and Forge isn't out and there are not enough weapons in this game at all. There are not enough maps in this game at all. There's not enough equipment variety in this game at all. Um, what's going on with this campaign expansions? Are we ever going to address the fact that you guys basically retconned Halo 5 and pretended it never happened in a way or basically insinuated there was a Halo 6 that you just forgot to develop? Like, these are the things I'm a little more preoccupied with, but I guess we got to think about the quarter of a single percent of gamers who are like, no, I want to go over to my friend's house and sit on their couch and pretend it's 2002 and listen to Breaking Benjamin while we fucking play Halo split screen co-op on a CRT TV. It's like, okay, bro, or a plasma screen TV probably. I don't like, good for you, man. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I have a hard time being sympathetic with that one, <laughs> to be quite honest. But yeah, the, the delays are no doubt upsetting. It's frustrating. And especially in, 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 and I'll end with this and in a world where we're just continuing to see, it just seems like over here in the Xbox community, right? We just can't catch a fucking break with the, with the game, with the content drought, not just with Halo, but with Xbox first party in general. Like, sure. We get cool indie games here and third party game pass games that launch day one in the game pass. And there's always, there's always content to be played. I will not sit here and lie to you and say, Xbox doesn't have enough games to play. But I will be honest and say Xbox's first party output or like at least the cadence of their output has been disappointing for sure. Like honestly disappointing. Like I'm not mad that Starfield got delayed or Redfield got Redfall got delayed. I think it's it was expected. But man, it's just they they cannot figure it out. What's going on with State of K3? What's going on with with um, Perfect Dark? Remember, the initiative was formed in 2018. That game should be in a state where like they have shown off gameplay and they are ready to ship it within the next six months. That's where Perfect Dark's remake should be. But instead, we we just found out this year that the game's in development hell. A lot of core talent has left the studio. They brought on Crystal Dynamics to help develop it. This is an endemic issue, it seems, across a lot of Xbox studios. We've seen the reports of some turmoil over at uh, State of Decay developer Undead Labs. 
I don't know, man. I, I want to sit here and say, 343 is not fit to make Halo. Bring back Bungie. Whatever. Fucking armchair de- game develop all day as, as much as you want. But for my money, from my perspective, where I'm sitting, well, from what I'm seeing, looking at Xbox as a whole and not just Halo, it seems like from a top-down perspective, Xbox has same, some, some serious high-level managerial clusterfucks going on that are really impacting all of their developers. And they got a couple developers who seem to really be able to self-control themselves, seem to kind of self-regulate and, 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 and manage themselves. You know, you look at like Playground with, with Forza Horizon, how they're able to consistently get those games out every two to three years, and they're always polished and content complete and beautiful and better than the last one. Great. But that's the exception, not the rule. Because I'm looking around, and this is an endemic problem to Xbox's games to use in general. So I just, yeah, maybe it's Bonnie Ross. Maybe it's someone above Bonnie Ross. And I don't, and listen, man, like, I, I'm not an insider. I'm just a, literally a nobody who just likes to talk about Xbox to himself and his boxers every Wednesday night. Like, I don't know shit. I don't got any fucking, any, any, any friends in the industry who's telling me a goddamn thing. But it doesn't seem like it takes, like, an insider to see that, like, this is a problem endemic to Xbox's game publishing arm at large. Not really 343 specific, but um, I'd, I digress. I don't know. I will uh, continue to slowly chip away at my season two battle pass since apparently I got three and a half years to finish it. And um, I'm looking forward to like the two maps we're getting in the next 12 months. And um, I'm glad that we're getting a DRM, DMR, whatever fucking weapon in this game, DMR. I love the Halo Reach DMR, so I hope it fires kind of like that one. Um, whatever. Really, I mean, what, honestly, for me, once Forge is out in November, please, for the love of God, don't get delayed again. But once Forge is out in November, I'm good. Fucking, like, whatever. <laughs> We're done here. I'm, I'm, I just need Forge. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Uh, we won't spend nearly as long on um, the rest of the stories as that one, but obviously we, we, got to, we have to opine on, on Halo a little bit, don't we? <laughs> Let's talk about Matt Booty. Speaking of people who, I, I don't know, maybe they have some responsibility in, in these uh, studios that are seemingly somewhat mismanaged but um again i don't know anything matt booty seems like a likable guy i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to blanketly throw accusations at him but uh let's talk about him a little bit head of xbox game studios matt booty says the day of single studios working on large-scale games are long gone during a QA pax west 2022 panel over the weekend booty was asked whether a large number of game delays over the past couple of years could be blamed mainly due to covid uh, ooh, I said the thing we're gonna get a fucking flag on on Spotify now, but anyway, Booty replied with, "While the pandemic clearly played a key part in uh, in the delays, there are other aspects of modern game development that that make delays more likely. These include the difficulties in adapting to new generational hardware and the challenge in QA testing and more complex games, and the fact that so many big games are now made with multiple studios." He says, "Quote." How we are making games is evolving. The idea of a single team under one roof really doesn't happen anymore. I'll use the example of Perfect Dark, the team down in Santa Monica, the initiative. Oh, we were just talking about you guys. So we did just this big partnership with Crystal Dynamics, and I read online, oh, does this mean that there's a problem or something? It's quite the opposite, right? You got this veteran team at Crystal Dynamics, a big AAA team with over 100 people and that became available. Of course, we want to work with them, particularly if they've made a game like this before. And that's how we've done just an awful lot of work. You think about Age of Empires 4, which was launched last fall. That was made with a partnership with Relic Studios up in Vancouver. Great partnership. And every, and even something like Flight Simulator. We worked with the studio in France called Asobo. Shout out to Asobo. And the key kind of co-development when you're working with other people, like Certain Affinity, Iron Galaxy, Blackbird Interactive, all those studios are key to the products that we make. That's That, though, 
also adds some complexity to one of the studios. If one of the studios has a problem, that impacts the schedule. So the days are gone where you can just sort of go, everybody round up the team in the cafeteria. I want to talk to everybody and get you to work harder this Wednesday. That's long gone. It's gotten a lot more complicated than that. End quote. Xbox signed up Marvel's Avengers and Tomb Raider co-developer Crystal Dynamics in September 2021 to help with the development of its Perfect Dark reboot headed up by new studio The Initiative out of Santa Monica. All right. So let's let's stop there and then we'll continue the story with a second part from that from that Q&A session. First of all, I want to make it very clear. I I am endlessly skeptical of this like revision revisionist history. Listen, is it possible that I missed some details that places were, you know, that sites like Windows Central and stuff were reporting on back in 2018 when the initiative was announced and formed? Maybe. Yeah, possible. I'm 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 dumb. I miss stuff all the time. But I, I don't remember this being the case, and it just feels like there's a lot of Xbox fanboy revisionist history, def- blind defense of the initiative. And I don't mean that as a dig at Windows Central. I'll use Windows Central as an example just because um, I remember they're, they're reporting on the story. Um, I, I love the guys at Windows Central. They're one of my favorite websites. But, but I just th- – this whole like – well, the initiative was always meant to be a small team, and that was the thing. It was to be like a core team of veterans who could like uh, grab talent from throughout the industry here and there on a project-based need and kind of make the games that, you know, they'd be like the idea guys and the visionaries, and then they'd be able to hire the appropriate talent as needed to make the project and, and see, seek out their vision. I just don't fucking buy this this explanation that just no one seemed to have anything to say on in 2018 and 2019 and 2020 until last year was like, what the fuck's going on with the initiative? And then Drew Murray and all these guys started leaving and going back to Insomniac and all this other shit. And they started pulling in new talent from all over and it led up and culminated to the announcement that like, Hey, Crystal Dynamics has kind of just taken over the development of this fucking game. Yeah. They're working with the initiative. I, my interpretation of the story still to this day is that the initiative is no pun intended something of a failed initiative. They tried to get a bunch. Of, they tried. They strategically went to Santa Monica, where a lot of really high end developers are, where a lot of specifically high Sony developers are. Tried to poach a bunch of talent and tried to come up with their own competitor to the Sony AAA space. They wanted their own AAA Game of the Year award winning game, where you got some dad whose daughter dies and he's got to go on an adventure with his son and go Viking funeral all over the fucking world and back. They wanted their version of that game. They wanted their third-person, over-the-shoulder, narrative-driven, uh, tear-jerker game that would get a bunch of fucking green fanboys to be like, we can do big storytelling too, PlayStation. That is what Xbox wanted, no fucking doubt. You cannot convince me otherwise. I need Phil Spencer to personally come over to my apartment, bring me dark chocolate, because I'm into that now, and tell me, Jesse, please believe me, that's not what the initiative was all about. Because I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. The initiative was supposed to be a big AAA developer, quadruple A developer, as the job posting suggested, right? That was supposed to rival the likes of Sony Santa Monica and Naughty Dog. It was supposed to be like, oh, we see you're the last of us and raise you whatever the game is, right? That was the original vision, the intent, and the hope. I just don't believe otherwise. And I know that's not all Matt Booty's saying. The initiative was his example, but I... (sighs) Think about a game like Assassin's Creed, which we're about to talk about a lot. You know, I, I'm a little mean on Assassin's Creed. It's just, it's just a franchise that doesn't resonate with me. 
And I understand I have a very limited experience with the franchise, so it doesn't... I, I come from a place of ignorance to an extent, so I get it. But Assassin's Creed is a game that is like summer blockbuster to AT. Sure, it's big, it's pretty, it's it's uh, it's open world nowadays. It's you know it's it's a it's, it garners a lot of attention. It's a pretty cool whatever game. But you never play a game like the next Assassin's Creed and go, oh my god, yeah, that's revolutionary. That's wow, that's game of the generation type shit. No, you just get another fucking Ubisoft open world, pretty good game. Move on with life when it's done type project. And when I think of these games that are made all over the world, pulling teams from from this country that, you know, you got teams in Canada, you got teams in the US, you got teams in fucking France, you got teams in the UK, you got a team in Singapore, all these teams pulling together to work on all these different aspects, like Call of Duty, right? You got all these teams from all over the world coming together to work on this project, right? You never think of the game that really changes the industry. You think of maybe big blockbuster games, games that sell big numbers, but you think about what the initiative was obviously supposed to fucking be, and you think of teams like Sony Santa Monica or Naughty Dog, these teams that, yeah, I'm sure they outsource some things here and there. But for the most part, 90% of the game is made by this core team, this one studio that has a specific culture, a specific vision, a specific dream and aspiration for a specific project. And they're able to carry out that, um, that project from stem to stern with that vision intact. And that is just not what the initiative has become. And that is just not what you get from these teams that are like, yeah, we'll, we'll outsource some talent from these guys, get these guys on board. It's like, that's not, I just refuse to believe that's how it's made. You know, you think of like a fucking, I don't know, what's considered like good cinema, like a fucking Martin Scorsese film or something. He's not like, oh yeah, so we partnered with the guys at fucking uh, the, the Star Wars publisher, developer, and they're helping us with the special effects. And then we got the guys from, uh, you know, we got the guy, the Marvel guys, and they're going to do all the costuming. And then, oh, we outsourced some of the script writing to this really great studio that makes Bollywood flicks out in India. And they're going to be helping us with some of that, with the dance sequences. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you're like trying to make true, like, like savant style, like visionary art, you got to have a specific driven team with a singular goal in mind. And I just don't see how that happens with these teams. Now, that's not really what Mad Booty is even getting at. It's just that's just my gripe with the whole the way Xbox tries to discuss the initiative. I just feel so revisionist history to me that the way Xbox fans try to cover this shit up. I just I hate it because I just don't fucking buy it. I don't buy it. But what Mad Booty's talking about at large, now that I've gotten my gripe out of the way, is is the the way the games industry has changed. And, and I do I do buy this in a larger, more broad sense. That yeah, this is a lot of how the industry is working. And this is what I kind of noted at earlier when I was trying to give Jim Ryan and Sony a little bit of defense about like the way they have to play smart because they don't have the money to play aggressive like Xbox does is that this is clearly a thing that is happening. Games are becoming so bloated, so expensive to make, so difficult to make. They're so multidisciplinary. It's just not easy for you to be like, hey, here's a team of 50 guys. Make a next-gen game. You know, it just doesn't work like that for the most part anymore. And so, yeah, ideas, aspects, parts of development are just outsourced to all these teams. And um, I don't know. It's, it seems like Xbox... I guess one of the things that gets me is Xbox seems to have a very... 
like almost like Ubisoft or Activision or like third party company kind of mentality about like, we'll just work with whoever seems fitted for the job. Whereas I feel like the culture you need to cultivate around this is kind of like what Sony's doing, where you look at a lot of the acquisitions Sony's been making, and they're not necessarily acquisitions like, oh, we want you to make this game and you can make that game and you can make that game. It's a lot of like, this team is solely focused on working on how to improve work from home culture uh, and, and workflow and work stacks. And this team is developed on like researching live service games and like how we can better implement certain strategies and techniques in all of our studios to make these, these, uh, these aspects of gaming more like, I don't know, more agreeable for the player and, and, and the company, you know, it's just all this like weird shit where they're like trying to look at the stack of development and the verticals and trying to have all these different teams specialize in and tackle these different things so that they can kind of better the whole of, of Sony Interactive Entertainment. And you almost wonder like, why is Xbox not doing something similar? Xbox is like buying up all these studios and it's a little bit more like kind of like what Disney does. It's like, we wanted X-Men, so we bought 20th Century Fox. It's like, okay, well, you got X-Men, but what the fuck does National Geographic and 20th Century Fox have to do with Mickey Mouse? You know, it's just like one of those things where it's like, you're just buying shit because you have money and you're buying shit. There's no real vision or purpose here. And I know Phil's real big on the whole, like, well, we have a lot of plans with mobile and with PC, and that's why we're buying Activision. But it's like, I don't want you to just buy and grow and big, be big and expand and throw money around just to just because you can and you should, I guess, whatever. Or just because you can doesn't mean you should. It, it, I want Xbox to be able to maintain and develop, or develop and maintain, I should say, because I don't really have much of one currently, a core identity. You should have teams whose job it is to be like, well, yeah, these guys are really like good at specializing in you know, we, we, we deploy this studio when we want to work on like cinematic first person experiences. And this team's really good at like multiplayer services and, and, and systems. And, you know, it's like, I don't know, like take, take your teams and look at what they're good at and then implement them and have them kind of work and cross pollinate among all your developers to kind of share their strengths with one another. You know, it's like you have 30 something studios now, Xbox. Why are you outsourcing your perfect dark game to crystal dynamics you don't own crystal dynamics fucking bethesda was talking about this very thing actually bethesda has this culture already they're talking about how like id was like yeah well, of course we made doom 2016 and and doom uh, eternal but like yeah like the, the wolfenstein games developed this monster and the guys over at um the guys over at uh, what kind of what are they called? The Redfall developer, fucking Arcane, came up with this this multiplayer concept or this gameplay mechanic, and it's like these teams—they're like a family. They cross pollinate. They share their strengths and weaknesses, and help learn and improve with each other. It's like they need to adapt that culture into more of the proper Xbox Game Studios um, culture and and within those teams because it's like wouldn't wouldn't you want it to be more like yeah, well the initiative is really good at you know, their, their narrative and storytelling in their games. And we like to have them specialize in like sharing that with other teams. They're also really good with Unreal Engine 5. So they're kind of like the experts at working with our other teams in that. And they actually are doing a little bit of that. Spoiler alert, we're about to get into that story. But also be like, you know, and like, ah, oh, we're about to acquire Blizzard. Blizzard's really good at putting half-naked women in their games and trying to sell you microtransactions. So when we think about monetizing games and how to monetize a game like Halo Infinite, a game that doesn't traditionally have microtransactions and seasonal content, we look for Blizzard to be like, how many naked women do we need to put in Halo to, to sell enough skins and battle passes? And like, that, I know I'm being facetious and joking, but I think the point still stands where it's like, Look internally, look at the teams you have. What are their strengths and weaknesses and how can you utilize that to better the whole of the of the publishing arm rather than just being like, 
yeah, I mean, we just outsource whatever to whoever. It's like, well, then why the fuck are we even buying all these studios in the first place? I know it's to feed Game Pass. Like, it's kind of rhetorical, but, like, I feel like you could be a little more... I don't know. It reminds me of, like, um, like as an American, right? Like, like, wh- like the joke for a lot of the world looking at, like, white America is, like, we're, we're so wasteful with our food. There's, like, that stereotype and that perception. Like, Americans are so wasteful with your food. You go to the grocery store and you buy, like, pre-cut, pre-packaged, like, chicken breast or, or, like, or like beef shank or, or, like, steak cuts or whatever. Whereas, like, in so many parts of the world, it's, like, you buy the whole fucking chicken. You buy, you buy this whole, like, section of the cow or whatever. And, and, and you be very utilitarian, very useful with all the aspects. You know, it's like uh, you cut the chicken up yourself and you use the bones to make stock and you use the, 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 the breast to make this meal and the thighs are good for this meal and you can do all these different things and the whole thing is versatile. I feel like taking that concept of like, you know, that, that stereotype about like Americans just not being very useful and utilitarian with all of the aspects of what they have, you can kind of extrapolate a similar kind of like stereotype to Xbox where it's like, why did you buy all of Bethesda and all of Activision and all these fucking teams if you're just like, well, we think the coalition's really good at helping other teams work with Unreal Engine 5. It's like, okay, well, what else are they good at, you know? You didn't buy them just for that. You didn't just buy Activision so you could put Call of Duty and Game Pass. Like, what else do these teams have strengths and weaknesses that could be used to better, you know, teach other teams within your umbrella about, like, this aspect of gaming or help them with this development hurdle or, or you know, whereas Sony is very, like, seems like they're very thoughtful with that. Their, their acquisitions seem very focused on, like, yeah, we need a team, you know, we're, we're very single player focused. So we bought Bungie, not so we can take Destiny away from Xbox, but because Destiny, you know, Bungie, they're so good at live service. They get live service. We need a team that can really help teach our teams all about live service, how to do it right, what the culture is all about, how we really get into this market, because that's not our strong suit. We need to learn that strong suit. I, I guess, does that make sense? Like, I, I don't know, I, I do a lot of like, being extra hard on Xbox and being a little soft on PlayStation, but I think it's because I I, I want to be the voice of like I love Xbox. Let's hold them accountable and try to and try to find the ways they can be better rather than just being like blue team bad, green team good. So I don't know. That's why I, I am this way, but I I constantly think this way and just like what can Xbox learn from those around them? And I think when when you struggle to put out as much first party content as Xbox struggles to put out, you kind of make yourself a target for this kind of conversation anyway. So I don't know, man, that's just kind of my, my gripe with this. But, um, I, I don't think Matt Booty's wrong. That's the thing is like, obviously the guy, I mean, he's way smarter than me. He knows what he's talking about way more than I do, but it's just like, you have all these teams. Why is the, why is the, the intent not to look more inward? You know, um, the other aspect of that story is Matt Booty is talking about, um, how it's his it's his dream and intent to one day have artificial intelligence for QA testers to kind of expedite and, and improve that. And I guess this is a little more in, in the spirit of what I'm talking about a little bit because Microsoft is a tech company, a software company, and this would be using their technology and their strengths to maybe um, help improve and it make make the uh, the game development stack more efficient. Where Booty explains that games are super complex and bugs and stuff are way more prevalent than ever before. Current QA testing methods struggle to keep up with just how dynamic game development is. Uh, he's also talking about how Microsoft, you know, already has AI researchers at Microsoft proper, not even Xbox, to come up with AI that's really good and able to replace humans when it comes to testing things like games. 
And he even says, quote, some of the process we have not really kept up with how quickly we can make content. One of those is testing. You think about a game, one of the biggest differences between games and something like a movie. If we're working on a movie, you can just say, hey, the ending, let's tighten that up and let's edit and cut that scene. It's usually usually doesn't break anything at the beginning of the movie. But in the game, you can be ready to ship. And a designer's like, I've got this one little feature, so I'm just going to change this little color or this one little thing. And then somehow blows up and something in the first 10 minutes of the game now doesn't play properly. So the testing aspect, every single time anything goes wrong or goes into a big game, the whole game has to be tested front to back, side to side to make sure it didn't break something. My dream, or that that last part's my my input. Um, my dream, there's a lot of this with AI and machine learning right now, is that people using AI to generate these all these images, what I always say when I bump into the AI folks is, help me figure out how to make an AI bot go test a game. Because I'd love to be able to start up a $10,000, sorry, a Start up 10,000 instances of a game in the cloud, so there's 10,000 copies of a game running, deploying an AI bot to spend all night testing the game. Then in the morning we go get a report because that would be transformational. I always kind of laugh a little bit. People say, this game shipped uh, shipped on a Tuesday, but I hear they were fixing bugs on a Saturday night. There's months of testing and things that have to happen before a game goes out. The topic of QA testing, and this is the wrap-up, uh, is run by run by AI is one likely to become more widely discussed in the coming years as publishers look to uh, for more cost-effective and efficient ways to test large-scale games, um, which is also funny because Microsoft's in the process of acquiring Activision, and they just had a whole unionization of QA testers. Um, so that's kind of funny that the, their soon-to-be parent company is looking for ways to maybe one day move into AI for QA testing. Obviously, a lot of people get nervous about this. I I, I also have a little bit of like a, a moral dilemma sometimes with these things where it's like, well, it outsources human jobs for computers, but also you're like, oh, in the way of progress, it's like look for ways to make those humans efficient and give them work to do in other fields as you know machines take over a lot of other jobs it's just like this is a natural evolution of progress so i I don't want people to halt progress for the sake of like we've got to protect this group of jobs but at the same time it's like you want people to have a a good life and a decent living and not remove the ability for humans i I don't know this is that's a whole separate can of worms i mean you look at world governments i'll speak for the u.s at least especially in the u.s our government would be so fucking happy in an instance to uh just automate every single fucking job and make every american live on the side of the road poor and dying because they'd be like oh well look at walmart they don't even need cashiers anymore (laughs) so i I don't know it's uh (laughs) that's a whole different can of worms but Listen, I understand. It's not even about making it more cost-effective at this point. What, what he's saying is just about the efficiency of it. It's just game development is becoming so cumbersome and so big. A lot of my response to this shit isn't even, we need to come up with AI to do this or that. It's, a lot of it to me is like, we need to drastically scale back the scope of game development. Like Games do not do not need to be as big and massive and complex as they are becoming. You know, you look at a game like... Like, I, I just played Tinykin this weekend. God, it's so beautiful. The game's probably made by like a team of, like, 30 to 50 people or something like that. Such a great game. So good. So contained. Such a fun seven hours. I loved it. I got to experience the majority of what the game has to offer and, and move on with my life. But games these days are so, like, does the player have 300 hours of their life to do all these side quests? And, and games are getting to a point where it's, like, it's so complex. It's so over-engineered. It's so overdeveloped to the point of, like, I don't even enjoy half the shit you're putting into this game. So I I do agree that on some point, you know, a lot of this is about we need to be more effective and more savvy and more cutting edge with how games are developed. 
to make them more efficient and more feasible. But at the same time, I think we drastically need to scale back game. Like, look at Starfield. I'm excited to play Starfield. I am excited for the 30 to 50 hours I will play Starfield, 25 hours of which will be playing the campaign, and 10 to 20 hours will be exploring some side content and, play, and dicking around the world. I, for one, will not be one of those people who puts 2.700,000 hours into uh, a Starfield because there's so many thousands of planets that are randomly generated to explore that have literally nothing to see or do on, but content for the sake of content. I don't care about that. I'm so, like, I'm so turned off by these games that are just like, so much to do, so much to see, look how realistic, like, remember last year when Modern, or when Vanguard came out, or they were comparing, like, Modern Warfare 2019's fruit to Halo Infinite's fruit, it's like, dude, I will take shitty looking fruit in the background of a multiplayer map over just overdeveloped, bloated, super high budget bullshit games any day of the year, any day of the week, like, who fucking cares, man? Games are so, I don't know, like, we're just, everything's trying to be too realistic, too over-polished, over-developed. It's like, dude, just calm the fuck down for a little bit. Make something a little bit, like, cartoony-looking. You don't need 7,000 fucking drug trip side missions in your Far Cry game. I get it. The developer's French. You have a lot of trippy drug missions. We fucking get it. Ubisoft, okay? Like, like, calm... I think that's the other huge part of the the conversation that just doesn't get brought up enough. Like, look at the statistics of these games. Who the fuck is actually pouring in that much time? Like, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast can think of a game or two where they invested a massive amount of time into because they got so enveloped and lost in the project, in the game. But how many of us are really out here putting, like, 200 hours into every fucking game we play? So I think that's another really important aspect. It's just these games are just so overdeveloped, overpolished, overdone. It's just like, focus on the things that matter. Don't focus on like, oh, we're, oh look how realistic. Look, when your kid dies in The Last of Us, it's just so realistic looking. Look how dead they are. It's like, cool. I don't care. Mario Galaxy is a better game than this. <laughs> like, I don't, what do you want me to fucking say, dude? I'm like, God, I, for all the problems Halo Infinite has, I'm so glad one of them isn't, 343 lost six months of development to make sure their fruit looked perfect. And 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 I understand that the 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 problems are far reaching outside of just like, well, games are really dense with content and, and, and games have to be really pretty and 4K assets are hard to develop and put into games and whatever. I understand there's a lot and, and I understand that I don't understand a lot. But I, this is a two-sided argument. Yeah, we need to invest in more efficient game design, more efficient... Uh, uh, development strategies and maybe investing in more technological advancements that can help streamline these processes. But like we we also need to chill the fuck out with our games, okay? The best games I play on an average basis tend to be games that are like, hey, I'm gonna take a weekend of your life. I'm gonna leave you with a really memorable experience, and then you're gonna be able to go grocery shopping and learn how to make a fucking souffle and take your girlfriend out on a date and, and work a full week at your job and focus on your career and uh, focus on some other hobbies if you got some of those and pet your kitty and take a fucking shower. Like, if, dude, imagine a game that's just like, hey, you should maybe stretch and like uh, drink water sometimes. But these fucking games, it's just like, um, okay, log in, tell your mom you're dead, and just fucking, hey, you are, you are a fucking cyberpunk now. That's that's your life. You live in Night City. 
your your vehicle constantly clips through the through the roads as you drive down the streets on your PS4. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't. Whatever. Let's move on with life. <laughs> Talking about Tencent. Fuck. Thought we were in the clear. All right. VGC reports. We'll get through this. Ubisoft have announced a major strategic partnership with Tencent. The Chinese gaming giant is set to acquire a 49.9% economic stake with 5% voting rights and the Gilmont Brothers Limited, the holding company of Ubisoft's founders. Tencent's investment in the Gilmont Brothers Limited account of 300 euros, wee wee wee, 300 million euros, which is 297 million US dollars for people who look at real currency, suck at Europe. Just kidding. Please don't stop listening, British people. You guys don't even use euros, so you don't have to get upset. Separately, Ubisoft has authorized Tencent to raise its direct stake in the Assassin's Creed publisher for 4.5% to 9.99% of the capital of voting rights. The stake, it, a stake it won't be able to further increase for a period of eight years. Ubisoft said the partnership with Tencent will, quote, cover the development of mobile titles for several of Ubisoft's major franchises and launch of several of Ubisoft's PC titles in China. The French publisher's government is unchanged by the deal, and the Gilmont family retains exclusive control of the Gilmont Brothers Limited. In April, it was reported that the company behind Rainbow Six and Far Cry series were were attracting over, uh, or sorry, were attracting takeover interest from several pri uh, private equity firms. In the following month, it was claimed that the Gilmont family was considering teaming up with a private equity firm to acquire the company. Quote, there happens to be a lot, there has been a lot of talk around consolidation in the industry and at Ubisoft in particular, says U Ubisoft CEO Yves Gilmont uh, during the company's full year earnings call back in May. Our overall position is clear and well known. As said last February, we have everything we need to remain independent. We have the talent, the individual and financial, individual financial scale in a large portfolio of powerful IP to create massive value in the coming years. Has been has provided us with a plan to build strategic partnerships with the biggest players in the entertainment and tech. The current speculation is putting a plain uh, sight in real appeal and value of our assets, of the value of creation potential, whatever the fuck that means. As mentioned, as mentioned before, as a public listed company, it is best is the best practice for our broad our board, sorry, our board to review any offer in the interest of the shareholders and of our great team. So. Hmm. We'll get into the other big Ubisoft story that has more to do with games, Assassin's Creed, um, in a minute. We we won't dwell on this for too long. The thing about Ubisoft is they just seem to always be a target. Everyone wants to do some fucking hostile takeover of Ubisoft. If you remember maybe seven or eight years ago, it was Vivendi Universal was slowly trying to gobble up as much stock as they could of Ubisoft and try to do a hostile takeover of the company and the Gilmont family started buying back a lot of stock and trying to fight them off. And now in more recent times, it's been this whole, like all oh, of these private equity firms are trying to get in and try to buy out and, you know, shout out to the Gilmont family. They've clearly tried their best to remain the, the, the owners and the spearheaders of Ubisoft for all this time. They tried to keep the company as independent as possible and that's cool. It's admirable, and I like it. But, uh, dude, it is just... At this point with Ubisoft, they are just buying time. Like, it, it's admirable, and I, respe I respect the hell out of them for it. At least they're not like all these other fucking developers. They're like, what's up, gamers? We're so fucking thrilled to announce that we're partnering up with T -T 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 Tencent, and we're going to make fucking awesome, dope-ass mobile games. Do you guys like shooting lame-ass gamers? 
Do you guys like getting scrubs, uh, scrubbed from the fucking scoreboard? Well, you're gonna love Fusion Rifle Attack Brothers Mobile Free to Play Season 3 out now. That's more content than Halo Infinite has. Um, but like, I don't know. There's just like so many of these fucking lame ass developers who are so quick to be like, oh, Tencent money, yes. And so, like, I really do want to stress and emphasize how much I respect Ubisoft for just trying to go above and beyond and be like, listen, we're, we're trying to remain independent. We want to continue to do their thing. Obviously, they're a publicly traded company. They're not independent. But they want to remain their own publisher that has their own teams and their own identity. And I give Ubisoft a lot of shit because I'm not particularly the biggest fan of a lot of their titles. But Ubisoft does strike gold every now and then. I am a Far Cry fan. I have been known to partake in the Far Cry uh, franchise from time to time. I loved that Starling Battle for Atlas game from 2018 that completely flopped that no one gave the time of day, but it was a, actually a really cool game with a lot of promise and would have been awesome if we ever got the uh, the sequel to that game. Uh, Ubisoft has definitely done some cool shit, and, and, I, and I still always root for them because even if they're not always doing something that directly speaks to me, they are kind of beaten, you know, marching to the beat of their own drum, as they say, you know, usually in, in regards to Nintendo, but I think Ubisoft does that a little bit as well, and, and I respect it. They had a huge influence over the past decade plus with with open world game checkbox design. Um, I, th I think they have some creative teams. They have some really creative figures, and they've done a lot of really cool shit. But at this point, it's like, dude, Yves Gomez is an old guy, and, and, and these guys are probably getting fucking tired. You know, there's only so much of this staving off investors and, and these private equity firms and these companies that are trying to get in. There's only so much you, of that you can do for so long before it's like at some point you just gotta let it go. You, you can't fight it off forever, you know. You're not you're not gonna be able to do that um, for long, you know, for too long. But um, so Tencent already had a small 4.5% share of the company, and now or, or or direct stake, and now it's been raised to 10%. And there's now a cap that won't allow them to increase that for another eight years so it is cool like shout out to ubisoft that they have successfully basically stayed off tencent for a while and been like yo yeah you can get a little more investment but we're not giving you big voting rights we're not giving you a big share and that's what tencent wants is they want a little bit of everyone's fucking pie they want a slice from everyone's pizza they want a seat at everyone's table they want a voting they want a voting seat at every company's table so that they can make impart big change so they can fucking do their slimy bullshit so they can pretend to be level infinite so you don't know it's fucking shit ass Tencent and uh, I, I like again massive props to, to Ubisoft for trying to be like listen there's only so much we can do but we are going to try and keep you again they're a publicly traded company there's only so much they can do but they, you can tell they're trying to keep these guys off and so that's cool I don't really love the idea of trying to bring all these Ubisoft titles to mobile for the Chinese market, whatever. I mean, what do I give a shit? But um, I don't know. I just obviously I don't want Tencent benefiting in any way. But this is way better than what we are normally seeing, which is these companies who are like, Tencent gave us money and we love money. It's like, dude, fuck off. Like all these big game developers and publishers who are acting like money's hard to come by. It's like, bro. You work in the goddamn games industry. It's like all this fucking industry just prints money. Like it's one thing if you're a small independent game developer, but I'm talking about like these big publishers that are selling out left and right. It's like fuck you, man. So shout out to Ubisoft. I don't have much else to say. We have this conversation every week. I don't want to bore you with any more details. As always, fuck you, Tencent. Why can't you just go like invest in like the soda market or chocolate? 
something that I, I, I should give up and that I kind of hope I'd give up one day instead of something I actually care about, like gaming. Anyway, let's continue on with Ubisoft. Our next story is actually about video games and talk about Assassin's Creed. Got a couple of Assassin's Creed announcements back to back to back. Ubisoft have officially announced that it will reveal the next Assassin's Creed game, Assassin's Creed Mirage, next week. So September 10th, a couple days after the podcast goes live, uh, during the Ubisoft Forward event at 3 p.m. Eastern time at Saturday, September 10th. This is the big Ubisoft event we've been waiting for. I will, of course, be watching the D23 Expo at that time, listening for any announcements to see if we're getting any new rides at Epcot. Okay, but real talk, uh, Ubisoft will probably be having, uh, or will be having their Ubisoft Forward event at that time on Saturday. Um, be looking forward to that. If you want to see all your cool uh, Assassin's Creed announcements, um, we know they've been playing this thing for quite a while. This has been, they've been talking about it in the news for many months at this point. So it's been a long time coming. Uh, but the story continues starring Assassin's Creed Valhalla character, ba- Basim, Basim. I didn't play that game. I don't know. The title was originally planned for as an expansion for the most recent game in the entry, uh, entry in the series, uh, but it is now being spun into a standalone game. Uh, as, as according to a Bloomberg report, Assassin's Creed Mirage is reportedly set in the Middle East, including Baghdad, uh, with development being led by Ubisoft's Bordeaux studio, which means they will probably put lots of baguettes, cigarettes, and drug references in the game. Can you believe they're putting that in these stories now? I, I, that's not, I, I didn't write that. Most recently, Bloomberg reported that Assassin's Creed Mirage will be released in the spring of 2023, so pretty damn soon. Ubisoft said it plans to unveil the future of Assassin's Creed games in December, when it's set to hold a multi-game showcase. And yeah, that's what we just talked about. We'll, we'll see more of that. So we're expected to see more Assassin's Creed games than just Mirage. But let's continue on because there's another story that says, <gasps> Assassin's Creed will, sorry, Ubisoft will reportedly announce several other Assassin's Creed games during the product showcase this weekend. The publisher has been for months teasing the future of Assassin's Creed with the Ubisoft Forward event. Um, and thanks to TryHard Guides and Bloomberg's reporting and leaks, we have more information in addition to the already confirmed Assassin's Creed Mirage. It's been claimed that Ubisoft will use the event to reveal two major series entries in a mobile game and a mobile game. So four Assassin's Creed... To- guys, remember like 2016 when they're like, we're taking a year off Assassin's Creed because we put too much of this out. Now they're like, fuck you, here's four Assassin's Creed games. But... um. Two of the big announcements will be part of Assassin's Creed Infinity, which we learned about earlier in the year. It's a large-scale collaboration between Ubisoft's Quebec and Montreal teams. Those are the teams that made Odyssey, Origins, and Valhalla. Uh, studios, which will reportedly serve as a platform for multiple games with a different setting. So there's one Assassin's Creed platform that will hold multiple games within that platform. It is the Assassin's Creed Games as a Service, but it's a games as a service for single-player games. The first codename, Red, and developed by Quebec, is said to take place in feudal Japan. Basically, the Assassin's Creed game people have been begging for for decades. But yeah, we finally get it after Sony made their own Assassin's Creed Japan game. Montreal's title, which is codenamed Neo or Hex, reportedly revolves around witch trials during the uh, latter stages of the Holy Roman Empire. While Assassin's Creed Infinity isn't expected to launch until 2024, at the earliest, Assassin's Creed Mirage is reportedly planned for a 23, 20, a spring 2023 release. Bloomberg first reported back in February that Ubisoft was planning to release a smaller-scale, stealth-focused Assassin's Creed game that is closer to the early series entries than the more recent RPG-influenced ones. Now, right, so Mirage, which is the one that's supposed to come out in, in the spring, is supposed to be kind of like old Assassin's Creed, like Assassin's Creed 1 and 2 and in, in, whatever it is. The French one and the in the in the one with the horse and the knight and the Sleepy Hollow one and the fucking one with the heads falling off. It's supposed to be like those ones. And then 
Infinity is the big platform that's like taking the more recent Odyssey Valhalla type Assassin's Creed games that are big single player open world action RPGs and then building it into a platform where it can house future games under that roof and that is where these other two projects the feudal Japan and the ancient Roman Empire um, entries will eventually come to so the, I guess the idea is like here's your more classic Assassin's Creed game coming out imminently to hold you over and here's the future next generation of Assassin's Creed and here are two of the projects that you will get in Assassin's Creed Infin Infinity so when you break it down like that it's not as ridiculous and then there's a, a mobile thing somewhere in there as well who cares um but obviously, it's a lot of Assassin's Creed. Um, I, I think Mirage coming out in spring of 2023, it's a fair distance from Valhalla, which came out in the fall of 2020. Um, but um, spring 2023, looking fairly fucking busy. You might want to delay this thing a little bit just to, just for breathing room, you know? But I don't really have much to say on these because obviously we haven't seen them yet. I don't want to talk about it at large and then, you know, a day or two after you hear this podcast, boom, it's been shown off. We got gameplay, we got pictures, we got all the development diaries and all that shit. So I don't really want to get too into it. But Assassin's Creed is coming back in a, in a large way. Ubisoft's got a lot of it. And the thing is, it's just Ubisoft has run into the issue before where they did the Assassin's Creed fatigue and they had to step away for a while. And I hope that's not what they're getting themselves into again because we know that right now a lot of the issues they're having is just kind of like some of these games are underperforming. Some of these games are just not finding their audience. All these games as a service titles they were doing. All these free-to-play multiplayer games they were doing. And so hopefully this isn't, you know, these games end up panning out for them because Assassin's Creed is no doubt their biggest franchise. But you really hope to see that, that it pans out for them and it, and it ends up being... You know, not not another thing to help deter Ubisoft because we've just been seeing so much of this whole it's not working out for Ubisoft right now thing, and hopefully that's just not the case. Um, all right. And then our final story before we get into the wrap-up is that uh, this is from IGN. We haven't used IGN in a while. Um, I don't know how much I have to say about this. It kind of contradicts some of the things I was saying earlier, I guess, showing that Xbox is being a little more savvy with their teams. But State of the K3, uh, we haven't had much news on it uh, in quite a while. But the Xbox Game Studio head, Matt Booty, has just revealed that the upcoming game is being made in Unreal Engine 5 with the assistance of Gears of War developer The Coalition. As reported by WCCF Tech, Booty appeared on Major Nelson's podcast and shared some interesting behind-the-scenes details on development of State of the K3, saying, quote, you mentioned State of Decay 3 developer Undead Labs. They're working on the co with the Coalition up in Vancouver, our Gears of War studio, using some of the technology around Unreal Engine 5 and some of the stuff that's been in Gears of War before to bring State of Decay 3, Moody, Matt Booty said it to Nelson. Last week before, we spent all day at Undead Labs in Seattle, which was great getting the update on State of Decay 3, which has really got some cool stuff in addition to the fact that State of Decay 2 just continues to grow its user base. It's kind of like the stealth thing where it just keeps growing and growing and the cool thing get, and it was cool to get an update. I think it hit 11 million lifetime players for State of K3 now, which is pretty cool. All of that and the things that they're doing there really are a test bed, a proving ground for all the stuff that's going to be in State of K3. Booty also disclosed how he and the team had learning from the learned from other teams about the progress of their game and how these studios are sharing technology back and forth. It happens at various summits. We have a structure in place. We just call them summits where we get subject matter experts together for a day or two. We've had the animation summits, the UI summits, Unreal Engine summits, physics summits, etc. We did last year close to about 25 of these. That's our main mechanism for teams to share technology back and forth. Coalition is one of Microsoft's um, frontline teams uh, of using Unreal Engine 5 as it announced back in 2021 that they're using 
to Unreal Engine 5 for multiple new projects. Back in April of this year, the Coalition even showed off some Unreal Engine 5 experiments. Now, I guess this is one of those uh, times where I got to pedal back a little bit. Maybe, uh, maybe I look like a little bit of an idiot from my earlier statements and how it pairs up against this, this story. This is one of the uh, downsides, I guess, of trying to be as prepared and underprepared for the podcast as I am. I try to not read through the news too much because I want to have fresh takes as I uh, discuss. But this kind of flies in the face of what I was saying earlier about Xbox just not being savvy enough with their, their teams they already have cross-pollinating, sharing technology. It seems like they're huge on that. And this also kind of reminds me of another thing I failed to think about while I was talking earlier. You know, Turn 10 and and um, Playground Games, the two Forza teams, both often share technology and tricks and traits to help each other with their Forza projects, making them better and better and better. Um, Forza Horizon got seasons from Forza Motorsport. Forza Motorsport got uh, its, uh, what was it, the water technology or whatever. Sea of Thieves got its water technology from Playground. Etc. Etc. So clearly there is this cross pollinating stuff. I guess it just drives my point further with the initiative that that's the one I'm just so hung up on. It's like why did you go outside your stable of studios to go find someone? That's the thing I just I just don't get. Yeah, I mean State of K three. I, I I worry about this game. I don't think it's in the best of shape. Um, either that or they just way prematurely announced it. Uh, but for them to be getting help from the coalition, I think that's actually kind of the perfect team to be working with just because simply the coalition are such masters of the third person kind of action game, even though they do more over their shoulder shooting and state of K is more of like third person shooting and melee combat. But um, I would definitely like to see some of the charm and, and, and smoothness and mechanics of like gears of war type games, be able to make their way and weave into a more polished state of decay title. Not only that, but uh, obviously Unreal Engine with Xbox, it makes sense. The Coalition is a spinoff from uh, from Epic. Epic are the guys that make Unreal Engine. So it makes sense that they are so embedded inherently with Unreal Engine. And as an extension of that, they probably, you know, it's obviously an accessible and easy and, and sensible, uh, sensible engine to be using. And so it's no surprise that a lot of Xbox teams are starting to use Unreal Engine 5 more and more. The tools seem incredibly powerful and capable. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have much to make of it other than it is cool to see that cross-pollinating with the Coalition and uh, Undead Labs, especially considering these are two teams where it's like, wh- where are we, guys? State of K3, why did we announce it so premature? We have no update, no gameplay. Uh, the Coalition, God, I'm so excited to see what they're working on, especially because not only do we know they're obviously working on another Gears of War because Gears 5 is a cliffhanger, uh, but also because we know they're working on other projects. And I want to see, are they doing a non-Gears of War game? I'm just so curious to see what what they're up to. So not much to say on this other than the uh, story makes me kind of look like a, a dumbass a little bit. Got to gotta walk back my points from earlier a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, st- I stand by it, man. It's just I can't get over the whole why, why Crystal Dynamics with the initiative. I just, you know. Other than obviously the head of the initiative is the former head of um, of, of uh, Crystal Dynamics, of course, which we've talked about. But guys, our, uh, our wrap-up story is the games coming and leaving Game Pass. So as of today, as of now, the following games are available in Game Pass. Uh, you got Disney Dreamlight Valley, which we already talked about. It's on cloud console and PC, day one game in Game Pass. Opus Magnum on PC is available now in Game Pass. Train Sim World 3 on console and PC available day one. 
And then coming soon, we got the following games hitting Game Pass on September 13th. We've got Ashes of the Singularity, Escalation on PC, DC League of Super Pets, The Adventure of Crypto, and Ace uh, coming to Cloud Console and PC. Also, side note, shout out to that game. Even though I have no interest in that game or that movie, it's based on that new Superman, Batman animated dog movie. I had no interest in that movie, but I do want to give a shout out to this because I'm the one who's always bitching and moaning that we don't get movie licensed tying games anymore. It seems like that's exactly what this is. So I definitely want to give a shout out to this just because I want to see more of this so bad, especially for movies I actually care about. And uh, it's cool to see. It's just so rare you see this kind of stuff. It's kind of a relic of the past to get a, a licensed movie tying game that's coming out around the same time as the movie. And just It's not some shitty free-to-play mobile app. It's not some game that comes out five years after the movie that's not based on the movie, but it's based on the IP. It's like, I don't know, it's cool. It's like this uh, double-A licensed tie-in fun rompy weekend shit that I miss. Uh, next, You Suck at Parking. Cloud Console and PC coming September 14th. Uh, day one game pass and also day one game pass coming September 15th. We've got uh, despots despots game cloud cons or on console PC, no cloud. And then lastly, I know this is one people are really excited for on September 15th, day one game pass PC and Xbox series X and S metal house singer. I tried to play the demo for this game really wasn't feeling the whole like rhythm to uh, like playing to the rhythm while playing a doom type FPS, but I know people are really excited for this game. I dig the concept. I think the music's obviously cool. A lot of good musicians here. Cool art style. Cool concept. Just didn't really work for me. But um, I know a lot of you guys are probably excited about that game. And then finally, on September 15th, the following games will be leaving Game Pass. So be sure to get to them if you want to play them. Um, the following games. One, A Plague Tale Innocence is leaving Cloud Console and PC. That's a game I have downloaded that I've been trying to get to for a long time. So I need to get to it. I, I need to play that this weekend, actually. Uh, Aragami 2 is leaving Cloud Console and PC, another game I've always been meaning to play. Shout out to you, um, EA's King. I know you're a big fan of that one. Bug Fables, the Everlasting Sapling, Cloud Console and PC. Craftopia is leaving Cloud Console and PC. Final Fantasy, what is that, 13, is leaving Cloud Console and P PC. Flynn, some of Crimson, no, not Flynn from Tron, leaving Cloud Console and PC. I Am Fish, leaving Cloud Console and PC. Lost Words. Beyond the Page, leaving Cloud Console and PC. Actually, these are all Cloud Console and PC, so I don't need to keep saying that. Uh, Mighty Goose, Skatebird, which I never played. I only played the demo of that. And The Artful Escape. So if you want to play any of those games, be sure to get them now while they're, before they're gone next week, next Thursday. Damn, I need to play a Plague Tale Innocence like ASAP. I want to play that game before it leaves Game Pass so I can be ready for the sequel. But um, that's probably why it's leaving Game Pass is to get ready for the sequel, which comes out in just a few short weeks. So... Guys, it's going to do for all of our news this week. Let's wrap up real quick with the important enough stories. Stories important enough to make the podcast now important enough to warn their own discussions. First one comes from VGC. Microsoft is rolling out a new Series X update, which introduces a party chat noise suppression feature. The company said the noise suppression helps remove sounds like gamepad clicks, breathing, and background noises from Xbox chat parties. The feature can be enabled and disabled by pressing the Xbox button, going to the guide, and hitting parties and chats, and choosing it from the options. Microsoft said noise suppression will be coming to other devices soon. Next up, LOL, VGC reports that it looks like Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Anniversary Edition may be coming to Nintendo Switch after uh, it was already released in the other platforms a year or so ago. So more Elder Scrolls Anniversary coming because they just re-released that all the fucking time. 
speaking of Last of Us remakes. And then VGC also reports CD Projekt Red has confirmed it's planning to release more than one game as part of the next major chapter in the Witcher game series. The company revealed in March that the next Witcher game will kick off a new saga for the franchise. When asked during an earnings call on Wednesday, President and Joint CEO Adam Kaczynski said the company is envisioning a release of a number of new Witcher titles. And finally, VGC reports the production director of Cyberpunk 2077 has lost, has lost, has left CD Projekt Red after more than 14 years of the team. Jedrez, sorry, I cannot, I'm sorry. Mroz, um, Mroz, joined CD Projekt Red in, 20, in 2007, posted a message on his LinkedIn page on Monday saying that he's left, as spotted by Twitter user, user Idle Sloth, big uh, Xbox guy in the Twitter community, or big gaming guy, I guess, on Twitter. Uh, I see him all the time pop up on my feed. Anyway, quote, thank you guys, and thank you CD Projekt Red for a spectacular 15 years. See you around. I will miss you. Time for something news, wrote Mraz, uh, who started as a junior QA specialist in December of 07, working on the original Witcher game. He's come a long way. Good luck to him. Hopefully he goes on to do something really awesome that he's happy to do. And uh, that's it for all of our news this week. Now, guys, it is a fucking long-ass podcast. I expected this to be just under two hours. It looks like we're coming in at just under three hours. So let's run through the comments real quick. You know how it works. You head on over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode. Leave a nice comment. Say, Jesse, thanks for the long podcast. They helped me get through a grueling work week. And I'll say, thanks, man. I really appreciate the kind words. Or you can say, Jesse, you talk too much. Maybe if you talk more about makeup tutorials and you talk more about yoga instructions you could actually do something useful. But instead, you just talk about video games. And video games are for losers and children. You are both. You are a child loser. And and I hope that your mother goes back in time so she can lose you as a child in the grocery store and then go home and pretend that you never existed because you suck. And I'll be like, damn, it's not a bad idea. And then Zeke Robinson wrote in and says, Amazon buying EA would be the worst thing ever. Unless they make Titanfall 3, then it would be the best thing ever. Facts. All right, hippies write in. My mom writes in. She says, so as someone born in the 1960s and also as your mother, I would just like to say that hippies are also are always and will always be awesome. And you don't have to say dirty and you don't have to be dirty to be a hippie. And you were kind of sort of raised by one. So, you know, OK, well, I'm not a hippie and I still think hippies are dirty. And I still think we should take those really heavy duty pressure washer hoses that firemen use to put out fires and just pff, hose all the hippies and it'd be pretty cool. All right. Next up, Kronky writes in says Konami guessing uh, any announcement from Konami is a good it's good news. I want to see any movement at all. They own so many awesome IP. I'd love to see Silent Hill, MGS, or Castlevania. That being said, what do you think they'll show? My money is on the Castlevania Souls-like game. I think a Castlevania Souls-like game is the absolute correct thing to do with that franchise. I think Bloodborne is basically just a Castlevania game, and they need to just take that that success and capitalize on it by making Castlevania a Bloodborne game now. But I don't think they're smart enough to do that. I think what they're probably doing is remaking Metal Gear Solid with Sony. I think that's probably what's most likely happening is that long rumor that Sony has a team doing a remaster of a, a ground up remake of MGS one. That's my honest to God. Yes. And I don't have another one. Uh, next up. I wrote why compassionate choice. LLC writes in and says, Jesse, I'm still alive and well, my brother, my little brother just spent a day at Disneyland Paris slash Rainforest Cafe. Hell yeah. Jealous to say the least. Why can't the CCP screw off from gaming? I also am an electrician and just finished wiring my first house and start to start to finish. Also, no more Activision poo poo talk. Okay. Activision is cool. CCP sucks. You're an electrician, which is fucking cool. 
I, I always envy people who actually know how to create things, fix things, do things, set things up, tear things down, because all I can do is just answer emails and be obnoxious. Also, your little brother's luckiest man in the world because I want to go to the Rainforest Cafe in Disneyland Paris so bad, but they're about to tear it down to the ground for a new expansion they're doing over there, so lucky him. I wish I could be him right now. And finally, our comment, our wrap-up comment we always get from Headhunting Halo. Love this guy. He says, so I bought Pac-Man Repack, and wow, I love it. Never played the old one, but wow, I beat it in a single sitting and had a blast. I also went back to Master Chief Collection. Halo Infinite is making me so mad lately. I understand things happen, but it's a disaster from the start now. I have to wait even longer for Season 3. Cancel co-op mode and still no word on Forge. Master Chief Collection needs my love again. So I'm backing off Infinite. Just too many things jacked up. Are you excited for Pinocchio on Disney Plus this Friday as well as Cobra Kai? Have a good week, Jesse. God damn it, head on to Halo. Okay. I'm glad you like Pac-Man Repack. I hope you didn't buy all my recommendation because I was not very high on it. And uh, I just, I, God, I would hate to know that I'm influencing people to do silly things like that. But I'm glad you liked it. Glad you had a good time. It is, it is a good time. I had a good time with it as well. I don't know why I'm so sour on it, but glad to hear you enjoyed it. Um, also, glad to hear you going back to Master Chief Collection. Listen, I played Master Chief Collection on stream about a week ago. Master Chief Collection is the shit. It's still good. Just because Halo Infinite is out doesn't mean we can't play both. Old Halo games still need love. Hashtag bring Halo 5 to Master Chief Collection. And finally, no, I have no interest in watching Pinocchio on Disney+. Plus. I, uh, I, am a, I am a protester of the live-action Disney movies, recreations of classic Disney movies in live-action. Now, I did see Cinderella when it came out in theater because that was the first one they did. I was like, okay, whatever. And then I quickly realized, I'm like, I, I don't like what they're doing here. Um, I did see uh, Beauty and the Beast later on, like, TV or Blu-ray or something. But, no, I, I don't buy. I don't go to the movie theater. I don't support. I don't watch these movies. I didn't see the live-action Aladdin or Jung or no, Jungle Book. Oh, what was it? Lion King or... Um, any of these, I, I like. I, I hope people like it and watch it and have a good time. Pinocchio, in my opinion, is one of the most beautifully animated movies of all time. I absolutely adore the original Pinocchio. It is to me like my favorite example to go back to of just old school Disney hand drawn animation. I absolutely adore that movie, at least aesthetically. I just think it's absolutely just a work of art, and uh, I, I have no interest in just completely creatively devoid cash grabby modern Disney trying to capitalize on these old classics by doing these just cheap significantly work like I just I don't even understand what these live action remakes do I understand they make money I understand that but like they're all objective like even if they're good let's just say they're good I never watched the Aladdin one I'm sure that I, I know that one apparently sucked but let's just say they're good let's say Pinocchio Lion King these remakes are good right you watch it you're like it's good if I ask you how was it compared to the original you're gonna go oh the original is better in all instances, they're never better than the original. So what is the point other than just cash grabby money? I think Disney's live action remake efforts of these classic animated movies is the most shameless cash grabby thing in, in cinema right now. And uh, that's no disrespect to anyone who wants to watch them. If, if that's your thing, dude, I mean, it's, it's your it's your free time. If you find value and entertainment in that more power to you. But on a personal level, I do not feel comfortable supporting those. I do not support those. However, and I also don't watch Cobra Kai. I've never seen. I know what it is. I've never watched it. I'm never going to watch it. I'm not a Karate Kid fan. I'm not a. I, it's just not my thing. But what I will say, Headhunting Halo, since you brought up Disney Plus, since you brought up new TV content, boy, the day this podcast goes live, September 8th, mark your fucking calendars, boys. Cars on the Road is on Disney Plus. That's right. It's like an unofficial Cars 4. I cannot wait. Tomater and Lightning McQueen are hitting the road. Buddies, once again. 
crazy adventures chaos will ensue i cannot fucking wait dude there's sonic frontiers cars on the road fucking hot wheels unleashed last year all my favorite things that have to do with speed are just it's happening so it's all here i love fast shit i oh my god dude cars on the road disney plus this thursday fucking be there or be a goddamn loser Thank you for writing in Headhunting Halo. If I could kiss you on the forehead, I would. But unfortunately, you cannot receive my kisses through this microphone. But with that said, thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate you as always. That's going to do it for our show this week. Went on way longer than I wanted it to. But um, what else is new? Uh, as a heads up, I guess I should just give this heads up now. Um, on Thursday the 22nd, I will be out of town and unable to do the news podcast. But do not think that means I'm skipping a week. I will never skip a week of Xbox on unless I'm dead. So there will be a podcast on the 22nd, but it will not be um, it will not be a regular podcast. It will be I have something special I'm playing up for you. I, I, I won't I won't spoil it just yet. I'll make the announcement next week. But I have a special podcast we're doing in place of a regular episode on Thursday the 22nd. And then the next week we'll go right back to the news. But uh, I, I will just be out of town, so I will be unable to cover the news. But there will still be a new podcast episode, same time as always. Don't worry, you will not miss an Xbox on. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about what that is next week. But that is going to do it for our show. Thank you guys so much for your support, and thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. Take care. Play some awesome games. Give Tiny Tiny Kin a try. It's really good. Have a great week. Play some awesome games. Spend some time with your loved ones. Um, you know, enjoy, enjoy your free time. Enjoy your hobbies. Enjoy what makes you happy. Uh, enjoy your life, please, for love of God. <laughs> and uh, don't, 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 don't take kids ibuprofen or kids cough syrup medicine. It just doesn't taste good. And um, until next week, power your dreams. <laughs> <laughs>